What's up, guys? If you're on Spotify right now, please follow the show so that you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review. Thank you. They called. They said, look, clear the yard. It started to get dark in the yard. As soon as it gets dark in the yard, the guys in the gun towers tell you, clear the yard. So we start walking in. I just get back to my block. I said goodnight to everybody, and the alarms are going off. And the prison becomes a loony bin. Everybody's screaming and yelling, running everywhere. What the F is going on? So this hack comes by me, and he's got a pen, like a piece of leather that's tied to a machete, and it's dripping blood. And he runs by my thing. Had recovered a knife from somewhere. So what happened was, that guy that I was talking to in the yard went in to his tier block, and he stripped down to his boxer shorts and handed out machetes. So that's what I felt at the time. I feel the same way now. You guys got him. You got his balls to the wall. So we'll talk about it on camera if you want. Yeah, I mean, we're already on right now, but I mean, yeah, yeah, it's 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 very relaxed. Like we'll just start talking it and go. But yeah, I mean, your whole background is wild. And thank you for doing this last minute, by the way, you and I. Thank you. Before you went to Florida, this just popped in my inbox through our mutual friend Mark McCrane. But you know, your the time that you were around was a very tumultuous time. With the mafia mm-hmm. being that you were coming in right at the mm-hmm. end of John Senior, who you're mm-hmm. just talking about, we'll talk about more today. Mm-hmm. But wh- where did you? Let, let's just start at the beginning. When when did you first get involved running with these crews and and getting mm-hmm. around this? And how did that happen? Uh, so it kind of happens on its own. It, it evolves mm-hmm. like anything else. Um, I started with stealing cars, and we just steal a car for a joyride. It had mm-hmm. nothing to do with money, no profits involved, nothing. Uh, do some donuts in the parking lot, ditch the car and go home. Ha ha, that was great. That was fun. Let's do it again tomorrow. How and old are you? A kid, 13. Yeah, 13. Uh, and then at some point or another, we had a friend of mine whose uh, his uncle was in the body shop business, auto collision shops. And he asked, he saw us in stolen cars and we thought we were in trouble. And instead he asked us for the parts. So here we're off to the races. So now we're giving parts to my friend's uncle, and eventually uh, I started opening up, like, sort of, I guess, quote-unquote accounts with other shops. <laughs> and before you know it, yeah, I'm, I'm 15, 16, uh, probably for the most part, like, when I really hit my stride with that, was probably about 16. We were running shop shops, all the auto body collision shops. I don't know if they're still there, but there used to be a whole load of them on College Point Boulevard in Queens, and we sold to all of them. Uh, and- Did you ever get caught? At this age? I never got caught in a car. We had a couple of really close calls with chases. Um, I'm probably the best get Fast and Furious got nothing on me. One of the best getaway drivers you've ever seen in your Even life. Even at like 15, 16. Bro, I was flying around. We had a thing. We, we, we broke into a car once. And we had my friend started out with, he had just gotten his license at 17. And he had a little pickup truck. And we, we went out to get our first car that night with his pickups. Usually we get a car. And then each stolen car we'd use to get the next stolen car. So we went out with his pickup truck, which was the first one. And uh, we're, we're robbing a car. And next thing you know, there's gunshots. It's an ex-cop, it turned out to be. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, gunshots coming over, phew, phew, you know, whizzing <laughs> over your head. We're like, get the fuck out. We, we jumped in the truck. We're out of there. And the guy chased us for about a good, probably about a good 10 minutes before my friend had the wherewithal on Union Turnpike. There was a big center divider. And he figured out that he could cross the center divider on a truck. The guy had like a, it was like one of those Fiero GTs or something, very low to the mm. ground back then. And I don't even know if they make those cars anymore. Yeah, probably I haven't like, heard that one. It's like a DeLorean, right? That's yeah. like a, like an antique. So um, <laughs> he jumped the curb and then we literally were going the other way and we waved to him. 
We waved to the cop, you know, <laughs> and we just like, and, you know, he slammed his head on his Fuck hand on the you. thing. His gun has gone out. You know, I'm surprised he didn't shoot at us, but, and we, we took off. So, but anyway, we, we were stealing cars. We were running a chop shop. In the beginning, we would dump them in the woods, different woods, Casino Park woods. Uh, um, uh, we lived by Colden, Colden Projects. There was a little uh, sort of like a lot over there. We would dump them in Cunningham Park. And then after we dumped about half a dozen to a dozen cars, you know, we'd sort of like move, get another spot. And then at some point or another, believe it or not, we'd be smoking a cigarette, watching auto crime, dragging out the skeletons. And we'd be laughing, you know, <laughs> playing handball in the court, you know, and going, look, they got all, oh, look, that was that. Oh, that was, was ours. That was ours. Yeah. And then eventually the body shop owners started renting us, leasing us. Uh, they leased us a warehouse. We did that a few times where we'd fill up the warehouse and then just ditch on the lease and stuff. It was under a phony name. You could do a lot of those things back then much more easily than you can now. And now everything I would, you know, everything I did then would be on camera today. Yeah. Um, even I hijacked trucks. I graduated to hijacking trucks. So I'll tell you that. But that even hijacking trucks would be, you'd have how many devices on the truck that you would be following you, oh, GPS. Yeah. You know, you may as well just like tape a GPS to right. your head. Right. You know, when you when you hijack it. So, and then there's cameras everywhere. That's, they, that's the amazing thing about stuff yeah. like this. You're not talking about like that long ago. Right. But today, yeah, there's so yeah. many different types of crimes yeah. that even 20 years ago would have been like, yeah, yeah let's do it. And right. now you can't. Yeah. yeah, can't do it. It's crazy. Can't do it. Think about even just like Spark Steakhouse when John got into oh, yeah. Castellano. I was just teaching this kid about that this a, morning. A half a dozen people would be filming it yeah. on their iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? They'd be like, oh, shit. There's, uh, uh, there's, there's Johnny Bobby Canade. Bobby Biscacha there's, in his head. Joe yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you said Robert Bisaccia? Bobby Biscacha. I yeah, was yeah, close yeah. with Bobby Cabert. I was close. I got you really were. tight. I met Bobby Cabrera. I never met him on the street. You know, yeah. I met Bobby Cabrera in jail, and I hit it off with him. He was a man of men, I, you know, in that life. Obviously, oh, I, yeah. don't, you know, I don't live that life no more. But in that life, man of men, I still have respect for him. Uh, he was already doing life. They pulled him up for another case. He was doing life in, I think, uh, Passaic or one of the Jersey jails. Mm-hmm. They pulled him over to the feds. I was with him. And uh, it was on a case with... Another dear friend of mine who I love, Orazio Ozzy Stantini, uh, they were on a case together. Nice they, Irish boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Ozzy was a man among men too. Uh, they had killed somebody in Astoria, if I'm not mistaken. And Sammy kind of like forgot about it when he went bad, Sammy the Bull. He forgot mm-hmm. about it and then he was reminded of it. So it was like, an, could Ozzy beat it? That was the big question. You know, we wanted, uh, but eventually as he got convicted, uh, Bobby Cabrera, I forget what happened with him, but I was with him for a while. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he did life. Ton. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think if I can actually tell that story. I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. this. My, my, uh, a friend of mine, let's put it that way. His godfather was Bobby Cabrera. Oh, okay. And so yeah. the story of how that happened, I'm, I'm going to have to rain check that some, really? maybe if I have you on again love to and I it. can check if I can tell it, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, but I'll, I'll tell you. So I'm going to tell you, but, I'm going to tell yeah. you a story that was told to me. Maybe you heard it. Did you hear the story about when Bobby was younger? Apparently they had a snitch. Actually, I'm sorry. Bobby told me the story. So it must be true. Cause Bobby never lied. <laughs> they, had a, they had a snitch. Bobby had a snitch on his case and they not only killed the guy, but they dumped the corpse on the courthouse steps. Oh. Yeah, so we send we, a message. I mean, yeah, man, we might be able to research that, but yeah, yeah, yeah. he was he was yeah. an old school motherfucker, old school. and he could go from yeah. here to here yeah. in like two yeah. seconds. Yeah. Like, yeah. The way my guy was telling me about it is that he was the most fun guy to hang around. Yeah, but then last all day. Oh yeah, and yeah. like and 
just yeah. a normal ball breaking Italian guy, yeah. but then yeah. someone did something he yeah. didn't like. Yeah. So actually, I, I can say this part. Joe Pesci, when he went to play Tommy DeVito right. in Goodfellas. Yeah. Now, Tommy DeVito was a real kid yeah. in, in the mafia and yeah. whatever, but mm. he, he wasn't, mm. he was no longer with us when right. that movie was coming right. out. Right. So when Joe went to figure out how to play that role, mm -hmm. he imagined his childhood buddy, Bobby Biscasha. Really? And that's how he, no he channeled that. Really? And I didn't so know when that. you see like Spider yeah. Dance, motherfucker, that's right. like that's From fucking Bobby. Bobby. Really? You're like you're what and I didn't know him, but yeah. like I've been told this by yeah. the guys who do. Yeah. Obviously you knew him. Yeah. That's what he was like yeah. in that yeah. era. Yeah, gem. I mean hilarious. <laughs> he was a gem. And we laughed we laughed all day. When you hook up when you hook up with a funny guy in jail and you hit it off with him, you know, he knew my whole story. You know, he knew I stood up. I was facing life too. He had life, I was facing life. He knew I was in there three years already. I ain't going bad. And uh, we laughed every day. Yeah. You know, once you once you get tight with somebody, some of these guys that kill are the funniest guys you ever met in your life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. mean, you know, that kill 100 guys. Yeah. Sammy's not a, Sammy was never a humorous guy, Sammy the Bull. Unfortunately, that's what people people's view of the mob killer is, you know, but... Believe it or not, he was a, a weird, he's a different cat. Yeah, a different cat. But yeah. there was a lot of people who you'd never, you know, you, if you were bullshitting with them in a bar, and I told you that guy killed thirty guys, you go, no way, no yeah, way. Yeah. He's so he's too bubbly, he's too happy. He's a, no way. You, you picture a guy all twisted up like Norman Bates, you know, you know, like a serial killer type, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah, not happening. You know, it's a lot of it's it, it's yeah. it's different, different. You know, I and yeah. I never want to be misheard on this or anything. Right. But there's a huge difference to me when I'm sitting across from like Luisa, who I have known for years, who's, you know, definitely seen a few bodies in his life, right? Versus like, not that I've done this, but sitting across from some dude who you killed his me, wife. You, you didn't accidentally call me Luisa. No, no, no. His name is Luisa. So <laughs> oh, it's like gotcha. Luisa, but it's Got like it. Luisa. Oh, Luisa. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Different guy. It's a huge <laughs> difference between sitting across from a guy like that okay. versus like the dude who killed his wife. Right. There's just right. they're completely look, different guys who are in that life. I'm not yeah. condoning murder in right. any way. No, Let me no, be I very clear. You. It's wrong. There's a lot of these guys who are sick fucks. No. I would I would characterize Bobby yeah. Biscasha as one yeah. of them. But there is a difference when you like when you get into that life. This is what you sign up for. You go to the can, or you get a bullet in the back of the head if you, if, if 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 you if you get yeah. it wrong with somebody. Yeah. Now, like if they kill a civilian or something, totally yeah. different yeah. story. But, but when it's gangster on gangster crime, I yeah. mean, that's the life, man. Yeah, that's it what is it is. It's a different life. Now, now, Bobby wasn't sick actually. He was he was very sane. But I that's that, not what I heard. Oh, really? Yeah, he was a little off, but you know, a in, a good, in a good way. <laughs> uh, but he, I mean, he. I'll tell you guys, there are other guys who like are really off, like a Roy DeMeo. Obviously, mm -hmm. Roy DeMeo well, he just racking enjoyed, up bodies. Yeah, yeah enjoyed enjoyed, the, enjoyed killing, exactly. Uh, I had a dear friend um, who supposedly uh, blowtorched, you know, a pecker off or two. Hmm. Uh, you know, and we, nice guy. Yeah, he was actually, believe it or not. <laughs> it's hard to say this, you know, I was even close with, it's hard people to understand this, I should say. But if you're in that life, you understand there are guys that creep you out. Like if you're in, if you're in, I've been around killers that creep you out, you know, and you don't know if they're just, you know, you're, you're walking down a staircase with them. If they're going to just hit you over the head, the back of the head with a hatchet, Yeah, because they might just do it just to see your brain. You know, like they wanted like just see some red cauliflower for lunch. That's the way these guys are, those sickos. But there's other guys like uh I remember I was I was talking to somebody and I said Jimmy Coonan was a gem and and the person was up Westies on guy? Westies. Yeah. I was close with Jimmy Coonan. Jimmy Coonan was a gem. And and they said, uh, 
how could he be a gem? He carried a, a head in a bag. He chopped up people in a bathtub. I said, but he wouldn't do that to me. <laughs> you know, I knew <laughs> so not to cross him. that was your him. part. If, yeah. if, he, if he didn't do it to me, he's a nice when guy. When you're in the life, you know, you, if, if you cross him, you got that coming. Mm. You know, you double cross him, you got that coming. But if you don't, he'll still put his own balls up for you or his life up for you. Is this something that you kind of knew naturally growing up in Queens and running with the crews you no. did or did eventually no. you kind of learn this is the way? No, I don't come from a mob background, but it was in it was either through uh, being around people and in some parts intuitive. You know, you understand this is how life is. This is like, you know, uh, you could be around a guy at school. Let's say you're around a guy at school and everybody hates the bully. You know, the, the, the big bully at school, everybody hates the guy. Mm-hmm. But you knew the bully from a different angle. And you knew that inside he lost his mother and father when he was young. He's, he's acting out and he's not such a bad guy. He cried on your shoulder a few times. You know him differently. So there's sort of like an intuitive sense you would have that where everybody's going, I hate that effing bully. I hate that effing bully. You get where they're coming from. Just like I understand when people say, how could you defend a killer? I get where they're coming from, but I also saw the different side of the person. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I did a show for Discovery Channel. I locked into maximum security prisons all over the world. Because I understood both sides of people, I could hang out with killers. I went into Azalco prison in the middle of the jungles in El Salvador. 600 guys, every single one of them had at least one body because you can't get into the like gang. Like all the MS-13 guys. Oh, uh, yeah. It was 18th Street, which is their rival. And, uh, and I hit oh. it off with them. I mean, I hugged and kissed them. I, them. I, 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 I locked in with them. Bro, I, I was literally like we were friends forever, some of these guys. And because I see them, their human side too. Look, we're all human. We're all created yes. by the same God. We don't like to believe that all the time. But the same God created every one of us. Whether you're black, white, Asian, men, woman, whatever gender you choose, whatever you, who you are. I don't care who you think you are, who you are. You are created by the same God. So to me... Everybody's got a human side, and I was able to connect with people in those prisons because of that. No, I, I, see I, that. I feel you on that, and I, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. That's the empathetic side, mm-hmm. and we're going to get to your full story today. But oh, I obviously, the trucks. <laughs> obviously, what I'm saying is you – you're a guy who never ratted on anyone. No, you went away. Never. You did your time. Never. You left the life. Mm-hmm. You are a religious dude, mm-hmm. someone who is completely out of it. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. kind of straddle mm-hmm. both as far mm-hmm. as like understanding how it works and having some empathy for your guys there. But right. like that's not what you do. No. It's totally interesting not. though yeah. to still hear mm-hmm. that at this point. I don't want to say like you're overemphasizing empathy because I, I feel you. They mm-hmm. everyone did come from a usually in those situations came from a very tough background, very tough situation, whatever. But mm-hmm. there's got to be a line, no? Like if, if you is. if if you are growing up dirt poor in El Salvador mm-hmm. and your MS13 or your 18th Street gang guys take mm-hmm. you in and mm-hmm. you eventually kill for them, I, I do have empathy for that. But like there's a line. If you're dropping so, 20 bodies and it's random, yeah. and a lot of times mm-hmm. down there, the way I understand mm-hmm. it is it'll be like civilians and mm-hmm. stuff. Stuff too. Mm-hmm. Now I the mean, line, the it line is what it is. No, yeah, the line. Great, great, great point. Great point. And the line that I uh, sort of found in prison, there was a line that I drew, and I'll tell you what it was. And I didn't see the line when I was outside, and I'll tell you how mm-hmm. I saw it and where I drew the line because it's a great question. There is a line. You, you know, how how much can you like somebody who's murdering everybody? Yes, I get it. Uh, and here's the line: When I was on the street. I believed in the mob. I believed in the life. I believed in every bit of it. So I felt if somebody disappeared, let's say they said, oh, you know, Julian ain't around anymore. He took a a one-way ride. Okay. (laughs) You know, you you get it, right? Okay. 
he's gone. You automatically assumed, I did at least, that Julian did something against the Borgata. Julian did something against the family, mm. and he had it coming. Just like if somebody commits treason against the country, if you sell nuclear secrets, you may be electrocuted. Mm. We as a country, as a society, in America at least, the consensus is that that's okay. I don't agree with executing anybody. I'm not for the death penalty. And there's many reasons why. We could discuss it another time. Sure. But I understood it that way. If you go against the Borgata, if you break the rules, you slept with somebody's wife, maybe. I don't know what you did. Maybe you're talking to the government. I don't know what you did, but you went, you disappeared. Now I'm in jail and I'm in jail and a lot of the people I lost, a lot of friends who disappeared and I never questioned it because they, you can't go, oh, why, why Julian disappear? Why are you asking? What is it your business? Yeah. Oh, you know, you, you're reporting to somebody, you got an FBI handler you're talking to. So you just leave it alone. The guy disappeared. Now I'm in jail and I, everybody's indictments are laid bare. We're all talking about them all day. I'm talking about my indictment. I was heisting hijackings, armored cars, armored car depot. You name it, they claimed I did it. I'm with guys who were in there for a lot of murders. Yeah. And I'm realizing that maybe Julian didn't die for the right reason. Maybe Julian died because Sammy the Bull wanted his apartment, his money, his wife, his business, or somebody else had an eye on something Julian had. Maybe Julian had a loan shark book and this guy wanted it. He knew Julian had five million on the street and was collecting great vig. And he wanted that book and he desperately wanted it. So now everybody's indictments are laid bare. We're all talking about our cases. And I'm saying, son of a bitch, mm. I'm in a snake pit. I couldn't kill Julian for a trillion dollars. You couldn't give me all the money in the world to kill Julian. However, However, if Julian slept with my friend's wife, Julian's going in a body bag tonight and we're throwing him in the Hudson <laughs> River. I got no problem with that. It's right over there. Yeah, I got no problem with it. So, But I do have a problem with killing you for money. Mm. And that was against my beliefs. That was against my ideology. And when I was around that, that was my first indication in prison when I'm listening to reason why all these guys died. And I'm going, son of a bitch. Gas Pipe Castle killed people I knew and people he who mm -hmm. he had doing the killings were dear friends of mine. Guys, you know, his big hit team were all these young Turks who were close friends of mine. Now, these guys were following orders. Okay, but gas they didn't know Gas Pipe was mislabeling people every time he wanted to kill somebody, a rat. And that's the problem. Right. So, you know, you hear, oh, so-and-so's a rat. And then you say, okay, he disappeared. Okay, he was a rat. He had to go. Then you find out in jail the guy wasn't a rat. So, and that's the thing at the higher echelons. If if someone says you got to do something, and this is why. There's no question. Well, I don't believe it anymore right? because I'm not taking orders. I'm not killing a friend. You know, my my childhood friend was Ronnie Gialonzo, Ronnie G. I love him to this day. Ronnie was a man's man. I remember him and I when I got home from prison. He was there for me, by the way, when I came home, and uh, and we were talking, and we just we could never kill each other. We could never kill a friend, no matter what the mm -hmm. order is. You know, if they told me to kill Ronnie. I tell Ronnie, get out of here. They're looking to clip you. I, I, you know, I would never. I was close friends. With, I'm still close friends with Mike Faraci. Mike Faraci's brother was Gus Faraci, the guy who killed the agent. Yes. Okay. So they put a hit out on, on Gus Faraci at the time. The mob did because they killed an agent. He didn't know he was an agent. He thought he was a snitch. He killed him. He made a mistake, but you still killed an agent. The mob puts a hit out on him. And I get deep into this in volume three of my new uh, mafia trilogy, Borgata. Uh, but anyway, they... They put a hit on Gus. Hold that book up, yeah, by the cool. way. Well, thanks, give, me, give me that thing. Cool. Thanks, brother. Us. You've written seven books now, by yeah, the way? Seven. Right? Yeah, seven. Damn. Yeah, seven. Yeah. I'll have yeah. the links to this down in the description, cool. but yeah. cool. I'm going to check this out myself. As, as yeah. I said, we're doing this last minute, so I haven't yeah. seen them yet. But yeah. cool. I'm sure if they're anything like the way you express yourself, I'm sure they're thanks, great. Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, the guy, one of the guys, Petroselli, was told to clip Gus. 
He says, he's my prison buddy and he's my street friend. I ain't clipping him. They killed Petroselli. For saying no. For saying no. So Petroselli died for Oof. one reason. He refused to clip Gus Faraci. Right. Now, if you go back to like, I think it was Aristotle who, who defined like the true nature of a friend. He, he meets Aristotle's definition of a true friend. Mm. You know, few of us do. And he did. So, you know, that's where you find a guy in, in, in on the streets who he's far and above, far and beyond like Ronnie G was for me. Always, always there for everybody he could be and always there for me. So, you know, here's a, here's a perfect example of where, you know, you know somebody from a different angle. And I disagreed with ever killing a friend. So that life isn't for me. I'm not clipping a friend. If I'm close with you for the last 20 years, 30 years, or from when we grew up and they tell me Julian's got to go, even if you did wrong, it's hard for me. I can't do it. So, you know, that's sort of like where the life, you know, for me was these guys are treacherous MFs. And I'm I'm lucky I'm here that nobody put a bullet in the back of my head. Yeah. You know, that that, you know, just because they wanted something I had. Um, you know, thinking back. And I would have been so naive. I would have I would have went to my grave, never known why it happened, how it happened, because Look at all the people Gaspipe killed. He mislabeled them rats. Gaspipe Castle. Yeah, can you tell people who he was? Gaspipe Castle was the um, underboss of the Lucchese family. Uh, he he ruled from uh, uh, probably the eighties and until they they snatched him up and they put him away for life. It's a great um, book on that called yeah. Gaspipe by Philip Carlo. Yeah, yeah, Philip Carlo. Excellent had book. The, voice. the late yeah, Philip yeah, Carlo, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Gas ends up becoming a rat himself. So how do you believe in a life where the guy mislabels people's rat, people, everybody a rat, kills them, and then becomes a rat himself? You got to rethink your life. What what business am I in? Yeah. Right? I mean, what business am I in that, you know, everybody died because they were mislabeled a rat and they weren't, and now he's a rat. So I think people learned what a lot of these guys were made of, no disrespect, mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. they invented Rico. I mean, that just, once they did yeah, that, I talk and, about that in, too in, my book. In, in their early yeah. 70s, G. Yeah. Robert Blakey, yeah. and mm -hmm. were able to put that to work combined with the whole wiretapping mm -hmm. phenomenon and mm -hmm. everything, mm -hmm. you know, you, you, you sit across from a dude, and I told you about my friend Jim DiOrio, who worked a lot of cases mm -hmm. like this. You sit across from a mobster, you're like, dude, you're facing 40 years minimum. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. They're going to protect yeah. themselves. Yeah, most guys do. Unfortunately, nowadays, um, me, I face that life sentence. And I just you say, did. you know what? It's not me. I can't, if I have to die in here. And I made that decision. Now I could say, too, because I had no faith in God when I made that decision. I just believed in not doing, not rotting out your friends. Mm. You know, but by I the grace that. of God. Yeah, I thank respect you. that. Yeah, thank you. But by the grace of God, I'm here now to look back on it and say, I faced it. I faced it. So I really don't have a lot of patience for these guys, you know. Why go to the pen when you could send a friend? You know, I got no patience for them. Uh, yeah. You know, you eat in people's houses. You know their mothers, their daughters, their wives, their brothers. And then you sit on a, a witness stand and you point to them and say, send him. Don't send me. I, I I didn't know. And a lot of guys make excuses. I didn't know what I was really getting into. You know. Everybody knows what they're they getting into. Do. Exactly. Look, if you're driving by in your car and you spot a bank robbery and you have nothing to do with it and you tell the police everything you saw, I'm fine with that. But if you go in and rob the bank with the guy and then get caught and tell the cops everything. Fuck you. Fuck you. Yeah. You made the decision, buddy. You know, lay in your bed. It's your bed. You made it. So I have no patience for all that shit. And everybody, all the rats always, very few just go, yeah, 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 okay, I'm a rat. And then it's, Never they do that. They always go... Uh, they have to dignify it they later. They got to justify it. Someone yeah. didn't send me commissary. Someone yep. didn't take care of my wife. Someone took my business. And, you know, I was close with Joey Amato from the, from the Colombo family. Joey Amato mm. was a man's man, too. When Joey was away, 
there was a few guys who were trying to glom on a few things he had. Joey had every right to go bad, and he didn't. He did not. You know, he could have said, look, they're taking my Joker Pokemon route. They're taking my whatever he had on the street at the time. I remember I was privy to it at the time when it was happening. He did not. He could have made a million excuses and says, I'm ratting. I got every reason to rat. Why not? He didn't. He said, look, this is what I chose. I'll take care of these people when I get home. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, that's a man's man yeah. in that world, in that life. Again, yes. not justifying the life. I'm not in it anymore. But I'm just telling you, the people who are men and hold up to what... If you no, hold, I appreciate this. Yeah, if you, yeah. Believe, if you believe in something, you know, don't, 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 don't abandon ship. You know, how, how much respect do we have for captains when the ship's going under? And what was the one, the, the, the Italian ship? The, the captain was the first one off the ship. He, was, he got a little too close to the Can coast. you Google that? Maybe 10 yeah. years ago. Yeah. Yeah, about 10 years ago. You he can't said, do that. You, you, the you guy in the helicopter is yeah. going, uh, whatever his name was, when you when you find out, when you, if you find him, he's going, get back to your ship. Yeah. The guy's going, you can't leave your ship. Get back to your ship. He yeah. was the first one to abandon ship. Do we have any respect for this guy? No. no. Probably one of the most powerful scenes in a great movie I've ever seen is is in Titanic. When you see the captain standing in the right. main room, that's he knows right. the water's about right. to come in and kill him. What a man. And that's it. Yeah. He's a man. That's he's like, it. well, we fucked up. It's my ship. There you go. I have to go down with it. Perfect. There's just something about perfect that. And, perfect right. analogy. You're perfect right. analogy. You're right. Yep. And a, as a society, we respect that. And he fucked up. Do we hate him because he fucked up? You know what? He kind of redeems himself because he's saying, I fucked up. I'm going down now to yeah. the bottom. I'm going to be laying in mud for eternity. You know, and, uh, you know, he messed up. And there's and, no coming. That's the thing. There's no coming back no, from that. No, there's like it's, it's over. death, but there's something about that symbolism that yep. you want to leave behind in life for yep. people to know about you. Right. That makes us in that situation. Not that I've been in it, right. but face that reality mm -hmm. and accept it. Mm -hmm. And it's the end. There's no more chapter. It's such, it. it's such a bizarre thing. Yep. Game over. Yeah. Book closed. Game over. Finished. Done. Finito. And and it is incredible because. You, you know what the thing about that is, though, compared to some of the situations you're talking about? You're done yeah. when that happens. Mm -hmm. It's over. Your pain's mm -hmm. gone. You're mm -hmm. dead. You'll face mm -hmm. your maker in, in the afterlife at that point. Mm -hmm. But with the prison thing, you may be facing 60 years here mm -hmm. doing the same thing every day. It's you torture. It's, it's torture. It's right. Yeah. Uh, I was close with Richie Pagliarulo. Richie Pagliarulo was uh, Lucchese family. Uh, he was convicted of murders. He had an Captain. opportunity. I don't know if they made him a skipper. They might have made him a skipper before he went away. They might have elevated him. I can't remember. But he's away. And uh, we got really, really close in Lewisburg. And he used to, he never came to the yard. But he took a liking to me. And now and then he'd come to the yard to see me and bullshit with me. And my last day in Lewisburg, which is a whole story of its own. I'll let you know if you want to hear that. I, I, went, I, I mean, I landed there for a double homicide. We got to get back to the beginning. Of we got to. We'll yeah, rewind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll just really tell you quick then, Richie. He walked the yard with me uh, my last day. Actually, let's go back. We'll come back to Richie because okay. he's in Lewisburg. When we get back to Lewisburg, we'll talk about All him. Right. So I'm, high, I'm stealing cars and I'm providing chop shop car, uh, parts for all the auto body collision shops. And at some point I'm in a shop and this dude goes to me. He goes, uh, I'm, oh, there was this huge uh, uh, toolbox the size of this table and about my height. And I said, wow, look at the size of this thing. He goes, yeah, they go for about five or six grand, he says, these boxes. I says, really? I says, yeah. And he says, these tools, you open the drawers. This one's 100, this one's 60, this one's 80, that one's 120. I said, wow. He goes, yeah, yeah. I said, Where did, what did, who brings them here? You know, he goes, there's a truck that comes, he says, every couple of days. He says, snap on, Matt, go. He goes, the truck's probably worth over 100 grand. I said, you want one? 
So <laughs> that's how my hijacking career started. That's how my hijacking career. I left from cars to hijacking. Now, I wish I didn't. Now, hijacking a truck is way different than a car. Yeah, yeah, big time. So look, I, I speak about it lightly now. I had my regret. I used to stare at the ceiling in prison and wish it fell on me. I just want your, your listeners and viewers to understand that before I go further because I do have regret. You, you know, you can't grab a guy, put a gun in his mouth, and just laugh about it for the rest of your life. I suffered psychologically myself for what I did to people. I but get it. Do you and I went even, to prison for a long at time. At the time, though, you're 16 years old, I guess, at this point. Are you 17, even, are yeah, you even 16, thinking 17. about any of that? No, absolutely right? not. Great question, too. Yeah. Not thinking about it. It went right over my head. Any, any of the deep questions I have now or deep thoughts about it, Completely incapable of thinking about that. Yeah. Well, what was what was your home life like? Did you have, did you have a uh, tight knit so, family, or were you yes. kind of out on your own? Yes. So I mentioned Ronnie G. Me and Ronnie G. hijacked trucks together when yeah. we were kids. I would literally leave the truck with the guy in it and leave my friends and say, "I got to be home at five thirty for dinner. I'll catch you guys later." And I would run home to be. My mother wanted us home at five thirty for dinner. My whether my mother made macaroni, whether she made uh, chili, whatever she put together. At that table, she wanted us home as a family together at 5.30. And she worked all day. My mother worked till 5, came home, put the dinner together quick. Did she know what you were doing? No. Now, my mother came from a family of, my father's family were legitimate law-abiding people, all of them. My mm. father's family never sped. They never passed the red light. <laughs> The, the yellow, they hit the brakes. Yellow, hit the brakes. <laughs> God almighty, sorry. You know, you're sitting at home like, what a pussy. Yeah, my father's family, that, forget it. So now my mother's family was the other side. My my uncle went away for hijacking when I was a kid. Mm. And I, I can remember going, to, we used to get uh, in my grandfather's old jalopy and drive up there to visit him in Sing Sing. His old what? His old jalopy, an old shipbox, an old car. You know, my grandfather, you know, he, my grandfather ran heavy machinery. Okay. Now, my grandfather, my grandfather was a war hero, World War II, mm. eight bronze stars, Asiatic Pacific, comes home and hangs out in the bar the rest of his life and runs bulldozers during the day. After work, he would finish his bulldozers or backhoe, uh, excavators, whatever he did, he ran heavy machinery, built the BQE, everything. Wow. Oh, yeah. Incredible story. Uh, used to work in the Midtown Tunnel, and he was one of the best operating engineers. They well, he all built some good shit. Oh, incredible. Yeah. But at night, he hung out at Tom's Piano Lounge where he took numbers. So, you know, he ordered a Manhattan and he started taking numbers at yeah, 6 o'clock. Yeah. So he was a little bit, my mother's side was a little shady. And if something fell off the truck, you know, we had extra things. You know, like yeah. they would, my grandfather would drop them up. My mother would say, get that out of the house. I don't want it. He goes, it's, it's legitimate. Nothing wrong it's, with that. Yeah, my, she'd fight <laughs> with him. My mother was trying to be a, a little better and then her family but my uncle I can remember sitting in Sing Sing visiting room mm. my feet didn't even touch the floor I remember my grandmother Josie Josephina Josie we're on the visit one day and she goes Anthony to my uncle she goes Anthony do me a favor she goes get on that so hot freaking hot in here get on that chair and open a window he goes Jesus Christmas he says they'll shoot me right off the chair ma <laughs> so like we had laughs as a family uh, yeah, we always laughed. We had laughs in the visiting room. Sing Sing was no joke. Sing Sing was no joke. Still I, is no I got to tell you, when I pulled in there as an adult, it all came back to me. I said, son of a bitch, you know, are we, are we destined when we grow up this way to end up here? Because mm. I got a lot of friends who came from criminal families and ended up where I ended up. And here I am as a little kid visiting Sing Sing, off to kill. Uh, you know, I'm going up to Ossining, New York. Nobody, my friends don't even know where Ossining, New York is. Mm -hmm. And I'm heading up there for you know, prison visits. And then I end up there. You know, eventually I did time in the feds, the state, the county, 
across the board. I had three different cases. We'll yeah, get you, had to, you had to get a taste of each pizza. Yeah, exactly, I mean? exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I'm going, shit, is this in my blood? That was something I thought about one day, too. Mm. I'll tell you a story in a state joint, just to, just to fast forward before we, re- we rewind. I'm in a state joint, and I, I was complaining to this guy. He was a guy. There's all kinds of sorts in the state. There was a guy who was a chemistry teacher. And I said, can you do me a favor? At that point, I had been teaching myself. I've been reading 18 hours a day, educating myself in prison. For years, I did that. Yeah. And at some point, everybody I'd meet, if you told me I'm a producer, I'm a host, I, I, I did a YouTube show, I did, I'd say, can you do me a favor and teach me everything about the equipment, everything mm-hmm. about how it works, how you do the video, how you put it out. I always wanted to know everybody's little bit. How do they do it so you can learn about life? So this guy's a chemistry teacher. I go, can you do me a favor and teach me about chemistry, maybe even some physics? He goes, absolutely. So he recommends some books to me, the Woolley something or another I read. I read a couple of other books about physics, uh, eventually read biography on Einstein, and he's teaching me. And one day I hear, I'm in my cell reading, and I hear whack. It was a slap, and it reverberated down the the, uh, the tear block. I said, and then I hear somebody whining. I said, son of a bitch, that's, what's his name? The, the, this guy, this teacher, I shouldn't probably say his name. He might be out there. But this teacher, <laughs> maybe, he'll, maybe he'll email and say, no, you could say my name. I'm proud and happy you did it. But, but anyway, he's a legitimate guy. Maybe he doesn't want anybody to know he was in jail for a few years, wherever mm. he is today. So I said, let me, let me go see. So I walk down. I go, into, I go into the cell, and there's this dude who was Latin king. And, oh, yeah. and he was the guy who slapped him. And his face is beat red. And I said to the dude, I go, yo, what's up in here? And he looked at me and he's thinking, you know, almost like an animal who's thinking, should I attack or not? And me, meaning me. Oh, and yeah. he's thinking. And I go, yo, what's up in here? And, and he walked out. And so I go, you all right? To the dude who got slapped now. The Latin King walks out. I usually got along with the Latin Kings, by the way. This was just this one Love dude. the Latin Kings. I got along well with the Latin Kings <laughs> everywhere. I liked the Latin Kings. It was just this one dude. Latin Kings were all good people in jail. Got along with all of them. This one dude. So he walks past me, slides out. I go, you all right? And he's got the big handprint on his face, you know? And he goes, yeah, I'm okay. He goes, I walked out, went back to my cell, pick up my book, and I'm reading. And he comes to my cell, and he knocks on the door. They didn't lock us in yet, obviously. You could go cell to cell during yeah, the yeah. day. Yeah. So he comes by, and he knocks on my door. And I had been telling him now, previously, maybe a week before, I said, I got to be more like my father's family. They were law-abiding citizens. They were good people. My mother's family were all crooked. I got to get this crooked shit out of my system. So now he knocks on my door after the slap. And he, and he, he, can I talk to you for a second? I said, yeah, put down the book. What's up? And he goes, don't complain or curse your mother's side and your mother's uh, family's blood in you. That's what just saved my ass. And he was right because my mother's family took chances Mm. and they weren't afraid to help somebody. My father's family, if they heard that slap, they would have just pulled the covers up and said, I didn't hear nothing. You know, that they were different people. I'm not going to get involved. I don't need to no, get I involved. Understand. Yeah. So he pointed out to me, don't curse your chemistry. Make use of it. And I thought that that's a good thing. Maybe if I take chances in other ways, law-abiding ways and did yes. things to help people. Yes. P.S., my documentary series with Discovery Channel. P.S., I did an animal trafficking documentary that's yet to air in South Africa and Mozambique trying to help, you know, the, the animal trafficking trade, trying to stop it. Put your risky behavior into something good and create something good out of your bad, out of what can be conceived or perceived as a fault. You should have talked to me before you did that. I wish we knew each other. That's awesome. So when did you shoot that? Well, you'll come with me and next time. I love that idea, I'll by tell the you. way. But. So I get, I, off the Discovery History, the Discovery Channel series, I wanted to do something about animal trafficking. I love animals. Yeah. And 
I feel like they're little humans. Anybody who has a pet knows. Yeah. You know, if you look at them too, they have the same eyes, the same tongue, the same nose as us. You got a dog? Oh, I have cats. I have cats, cats. but, but I love dogs. Love dogs. I'm in my friend's house. I'm staying in Staten Island now. His dog loves me so much. She comes and puts her head on me as soon as I sit down on the couch. Doberman, the size of me. Yeah. The size of me. She'll knock me over if she wants yep. to. Yep. And precious dog. Uh, but she knows I love my friend. She knows I love animals, I guess, because she loves me. So, P.S., I said, I want to do something about this. So I pitched it around. I went to every person, every place, trying to, you know, trying to green light a documentary about animal trap. I wanted to do something called... Uh, Planet Mafia, where I go and do all of the environmental crimes and all the crimes against mm. either the earth or the animals. Wow. And yeah, I get greenlit by Univision. Actually, Fusion was part of the Univision umbrella. So Fusion greenlits the project. They underwrite it for 350000 We go to South Africa and Mozambique. And now I go there. I was telling you earlier about- I you in Kruger? I was in Kruger, in yeah. and out of Kruger every day. Yeah, it was wild. And uh, so I land there and I hated the poachers. Would, I wanted to kill every poacher I mm-hmm. saw when I got there. But I was telling you about I could see the human side in people. When I got there and started investigating how this shit works, I see that the poachers are these usually these, these young African kids who live on the outskirts of Kruger Park. or in, Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, a lot of times. And they're given, here's a bullet or two bullets and a gun and a machete to cut the horn off the rhino. Mm-hmm. Go in there. And get get me the horn. And here's $10,000. $10,000? These guys never had more than a bowl of soup a day. What's yeah. $10,000? There is so some of that. There's some right. bad ones. But what I found was it was the next level with the bad guys. The guys who are manipulating those poor peasant kids that have nothing. And that's who I began to hate. So I says, you know what? I don't hate the poacher who doesn't know any better. He was as dumb as me when I was a kid and didn't know any better. Now they don't. So I found it hard to continue to hate them and despise them, knowing they didn't even, you know, you got a guy who never had more than a dollar his whole life, and now he's offered 10000 He's never had a pair of shoes. He's walking around and beat up like truck tires. Yeah, there, yeah there's some of this you, you for know, sure. Yeah. Alessi, on YouTube real quick, we're not going to be able to put it in the corner of the screen, but maybe we can have it flashing on the screen over here. Can you type in Ryan Tate Discovery interrogating poachers. Mm. I want to tell you about this because okay. I, I, cool. I, I wish I had known you before. Well, we're going to do I, I it again. Really... You'll come back down, with me if you go want. Down. Go down, Alessi. Mm-hmm. You see, I think it's that. Yes, it's that one right there. Mm-hmm. So pull this up. So this is my buddy, Ryan Tate, mm-hmm. who's been on, been on the mm-hmm. podcast, episode 117. He's coming back on very soon as mm-hmm. well. It was, it was intense. Now that was when, that was like right before we got out of Zakawi, right? Yes, and I actually, I chased them too. This was badass. So we have this vehicle checkpoint and out of nowhere and it comes in on the radio and then there are Amtrak tanks, the amphibious tanks just flying over the Euphrates River. He runs an organization called Vetpaw mm-hmm. over across the African continent. They don't talk about all the places they mm-hmm. are. Leave, leave the volume off for a minute, Alessi. So mm-hmm. he runs this organization, and, and it's all a bunch of U.S. veterans mm-hmm. who work with the African governments over there through this organization, Vetpaw, to protect 
the animals that are being poached. Mm -hmm. And they've been around for a decade, and I will go ahead and say they are responsible for the reason that white rhinos are recovering and aren't extinct now. I mean, there were 15,000 white rhinos Mm -hmm. that were around when they Mm -hmm. started. Now there's around 30,000. That's cut. They've never lost an animal, and they have patrolled Mm -hmm. tens of thousands of miles of land when you take into account all the different places they've been in Africa. You should hook me up with them if you can. I would love to. Mm -hmm. But if we cut to the end, cut to like, how long is this video? Eight minutes, something like that? Six. Six. Okay, cut to four minutes Mm -hmm. right there. That's him. Cut right here. Okay. So these were poachers Mm -hmm. that he caught. Mm -hmm. And in this, they actually had the documentary film crew with them when this was happening. But these guys were... You're kind of what you're talking about, more your prototypical poor guys who were brought in right. there to poach. Mm-hmm. And so what Ryan convinced them to do is he said, I'm going to give you a day and I want you to be on our side. And I will work with the courts to make sure you get like a lesser wow. sentence. And when you come out, you're going to have an opportunity to be a park ranger. But you need to tell us mm-hmm. where all the poachers are. And one of the guys the next day mm-hmm. took them to every fucking house where these guys wow. you're talking about are. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. again, there there is a little bit mm-hmm. – th- there is both Great sides work. to it. Mm-hmm. However, he will tell you. Yeah. There are a lot of people, yeah. I'm talking the ones mm-hmm. on the ground pulling the trigger, who are quite literally terrorists. Yeah. There are guys from well, Boko me, Haram who right. do it. There are guys right. from ISIS in right. Africa right. who do it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not just yeah. as simple as, and this is the part where I he's, totally where he's agree about with to you. go into the room. But I totally agree with it's you. It's a nasty, nasty business so and my, disgusting. Right. So being on the ground, I think my job as a host, as a, as a you know investigative journalist, is to figure out who's who, right? Always like, you know, there could be a some tuturu who's being used and there could be some really Machiavellian guy who's really manipulating everybody else and causing people to die and causing animals to die. For, and for example, here's, here's a perfect example. I am totally pro park range. I hit it off with them. I love them. We went to dinner together. We hung out together. We did a safari together. I love the park rangers because that's all that stops the animal element the human animal element from destroying mm-hmm. the animal element. Mm-hmm. So I'm totally with the park rangers. However, there was one instance where I did talk to a park ranger who said to me, there was apparently a, a poacher who was shot. And there was, there was a poacher who was shot and he was laying there half dead, but he wasn't dead. And the guy said, I regret that they told me to shoot him in the head now and, and finish him off. And I said, why? You know, you got a guy who could go to the hospital, recuperate, rethink and reevaluate his life and maybe feel like he's done something horrible and then help the people who are trying to combat this horrible tragedy, this horrible trade. So why would you kill him? Well, he said, we get funding from all over the world and big funding from New Yorkers and Londonites, etc., and and Parisians. Oh, and yeah. To keep that money coming, we have to show that we're doing something. So nothing's better than a body. And he goes, and that's why the, the, the team told me I have to kill him, and they explained to me why. So to me, you, two wrongs don't make a right. And if mm. you're a good investigating jur- investigative journalist, you go out there to stop the trade, which is what I want to do. Well, then, but you also get into the human element, who's who in the, pr- in, in the process. Well, then you'll love Vet Paul because you know how many people they've killed in 10 years? Yeah. Zero. Yeah, it's great. Zero. Yeah, I love so, these guys already. Yeah, you got to yeah, hook me up with them. Yeah, no, that, that's, yeah. he's one of my yeah. very, very close yeah. friends. I'd does, love to hook up with Does amazing work. But yeah, cool. yeah and they'll, they'll probably be able to get you access to some things if that's a story you're that interested in, yeah. in hunting down. I mean, it's yeah, just... Yeah, I want to save animals. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I hear you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, mm-hmm. again, there has to be... 
there has to be some empathy for some of the some of the people there. It's just mm-hmm. it's very sad. Like yeah. to me, the idea of like shooting an elephant or a rhino or something like that, that is a fucking dinosaur, bro. Disgusting. It's it's horrendous. It is so makes bad. me sick. And they're and like elephants are <laughs> in many ways smarter than we are. <laughs> How about this? I went to a rhino orphanage. And yeah. if you want to break yep. your heart, sometimes yep. the rhino mom is left dead yes. with the horn, with the tusk, the horn cut off, and the baby is sitting there crying yes. until somebody, you know, uh, rescues the baby, and then they go to this. I have great footage of me, you know, playing around with a rhino baby. You know, what I mean, yeah. this is like inc- incredible. And you want to break your heart, oh, see the mother with the kid next to her, you know, and like. This is, and you know what's yeah, crazy with, totally the, with, with the rhino part. horn, which is a disgusting trade because it has no benefit. A rhino no, horn for people out there, it is a fucking toenail. It's made right. out of keratin, That's the exactly same thing that your that your fingernails and That's toenails right. are. That's right. But you know they go in and they hack it off, and the reason they do it the way mm-hmm. they do, where they they hack it really fast mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. with you know the mother or father rhino, wherever mm-hmm. it is, in the situation mm-hmm. where the calf is there, and they leave a, a giant gash. Mm-hmm. And I can't put it on the screen because mm-hmm. we'll get demonetized, but they leave a giant gash and leave the the rhino Rhino there to bleed out. Mm-hmm. It's a That's horrible, right. slow, painful crying, death. Crying like humans. But the reason they do it is because it's the fastest way to do that. Mm-hmm. If they sat there mm-hmm. and did it correctly, mm-hmm. not that there's any excuse for doing mm-hmm. They should never do this. But mm-hmm. they could sit there and mm-hmm. saw right towards the bottom of the horn mm-hmm. and they it'd be a gross right. thing to do. But right. they're just dehorning yep. the rhino. Yep. They don't do that though. So, they're like, fuck you. We'll leave yep. you here to die. Yeah. That's a great, great point you made too about the dehorning the rhino, which is on the flip side of that, which they could do. We, we went out with a crew that darts the rhinos, and then we dehorn the rhinos. I took part in doing it. You dehorn them so that they're not valuable anymore to the poacher. So we dehorn them ourselves. So in other words, when the poacher goes out there, he's looking for a horn, and he doesn't care how many mothers of babies he yeah. kills. He wants the horn. So we, once you dehorn the rhino, now it's a different story. They take those horns then because it is you know, something that's valuable, to mm-hmm. some people, even though it's exactly what you said, keratin from yeah. a, to- a toenail, yeah. not even a fingernail, it's less, it's like a toenail. So, you know, it's horrible, but I thought that this this strategy was good in combating the, the illegal trade because once the rhino was dehorned and the rhino runs out there, the poacher sees it and goes, I can't get nothing out what of it. What the problem is, it's affecting their gestation and their genes. Correct. So Correct. part There's of the issues. reason they're using horns mm-hmm. is to be able to mate. Right. It's There's a issues. big part of it. And yeah. so but with the elephants, yeah. here's a great example with, the, with mm-hmm. them taking the ivory. There is now a genetic problem in the African elephant where mm-hmm. more elephants are being born without tusks because they've oh, been cut off for wow. so long. So you are literally – I mean wow. you think about the African elephant. You think right. of the whole – Yeah. You know, the giant sure. tusk, the yeah. larger-than-life creature. And yeah. now they're seeing that gene like it's still there, right. but it's in danger. So you can't just – cut these things down right. or something like that. It affects right. nature. What we just got to do you know is you... not kill the fucking animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't kill the animals, period. Yeah. Right, right. It's not, it's not that hard, Yeah, you know? I feel like there could be a more concerted effort from around the world with our, you know, like, look, it, it can't go astray. But the governments of the world should do something. I mean, we're constantly fighting climate change, climate change, climate, climate, climate. What about the animals in Africa? Why don't we put as much work into that, into saving those animals? Some of the governments are funding it. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Well, my, my documentary, I end up, my trail leads me to 
the Korean embassy. There you go. Yeah, the Korean embassy. And I pushed my way in, which was a great scene. They didn't want to let me in. I pushed my way in. And I got in there. It was a great scene. <laughs> no, you yeah. step out it's, of the way. I said, kill me. I don't give a shit. Kill me. Kill me. I'm coming in. I so, would love yeah. to see you just oh, sticking you it. Is there, yeah. is there an image yeah. of you sticking a finger in the face going, no, kinda. no, I'm walking in. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, like a mini bobblehead. Oh, get my, my way in. But I got in. So what happened was one of the guys, we found a trail where somebody from the Korean embassy was arrested. The Korean embassy bailed the guy out, sent him back to Korea. So we wanted to know why the embassy, does, do they condone this? Because he was arrested for stealing horns, for, for, for paying people to get horns for him. So why is the Korean embassy getting involved? Why is the ambassador mm -hmm. to South Africa from Korea getting involved in this? So we went deep into that. And That's I got, amazing. Yeah, and I when does my, this come out? Well, here's the thing. You tell me. I'll put it out on your channel. This is what happened. So Fusion did it under the Univision umbrella. Univision was Spanish-speaking people mostly, but a lot of you know, young Spanish people in America, Spanish-Americans, yes, 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 speak yes. English, so it's fine. So when they greenlit it, it was Isaac Lee who greenlit it. Isaac Lee was the big head of Univision at the time. And Fusion, under the Univision umbrella, greenlit the show. So we finish it, and then they said, well, we're going to start, we're going to stop doing new content, and we're not putting out any new content anymore. We're just rerunning it. They changed their whole formula. And then new people came in. Isaac Lee, who greenlit the show, left. Everybody loved the documentary. It's been sitting on the shelf for a few years now. So I'm oh, like, this is a few years ago. Son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. All so right, we we got to talk to some people. We got to figure out. How to I need it. to see this. Yes, but yeah, we yep. got to undead this. Yep. Like, yep. Okay. Yep. Right, so I've been writing for the last out. you know seven years too. This trilogy. This was actually that's how long it's. I'm sorry. It was probably completed about five years ago, but I filmed it about seven because it's before I started the trilogy. Oh my god! This right. Is, this is getting right. dust at this point. Dust, dust, and it should be out. So I've been tempted a few times just to say, F it, throw it on YouTube. But I wanted to do it the right way. I'm not a criminal. I want to get it out there and I want to do it the right, right way. Right, right, right. Where also, but I should talk Is to you. Is it locked you'll in figure contract, out. I assume? Well, I'm going to ask you to help me figure it out. You know maybe these ins and outs behind the scenes better than I do. But I wanted to then use this as a jump off to go now do the elephants, which was originally my primary, Done. The, uh, primary well, we animal that. I wanted to do. Done. Yeah. We'll and help then you there's with a, that. Yep. Yeah, and then there's other animals on the verge of extinction. I wanted to keep going out there, and then I wanted to do environmental crimes. There are people destroying the Amazon rainforest. There, there are computer companies. There Man, are compu speaking my language. Oh bro. yeah, there's computer companies that are ditching these computers, laptops, and everything, and it's destroying the earth, and they don't give a shit. It's like you know, when I was a kid, the mob dumped needles. They dumped waste. They dumped asbestos and shit too. Everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And they're washing up on Rockaway Beach. Yeah. You know, and, and like, you know, hypodermic needles are coming in, yeah. in tons on Rockaway Beach. I didn't agree with it then. I don't agree with it now. And that's what the computer industry is doing to us now. So, you know, I'd love to let's talk about this. Another another yeah. very close friend of mine yeah. who I was introduced to when I met Ryan because he brought him, mm -hmm. but Paul Rosalie down mm -hmm. in the Amazon, he's the most mm -hmm. popular guest I've mm -hmm. ever had on. On the outskirts of Manu National Park, this guy, local guy, started going into the jungle and like leaving them piles of bananas. Because they're they're hunter-gatherers. They don't have they don't have metal. They missed out on the wheel. They've never held a spoon. These are people that are out there. And so he'd leave them a machete and some bananas and they'd come take it. And then after like a year, he would start being there when they came to take it. And then after some time, he was actually able to interact with them. And he couldn't he could only speak a few words of their language. This what do they speak? They're called the Mashkupiro tribe. And so they speak some sort of uh some dialect of the Yine language but this guy who was interacting with them one day they found him they call it porcupine arrows sticking up out of his body like several arrows we don't know why they killed him 
He has lived in the Amazon jungle now for the last 19 years. Oh, wow. And he is sitting there. He's been he's sitting like there going, oh, my God, watching China fund it and the U.S. Yeah, buy it and yeah. everything's just getting burned yeah. down and shit. Yeah. It is wow. brutal right. what's happening there. So is, that's, he, is he doing a good job of covering it? I think he's doing. I think he's doing an amazing job. Yeah. He's one guy, though. Yeah, you know what guy. I mean. It's a big yeah. fucking. Why don't we go visit him? Let's go visit him. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah we're we're working him. on it. We yeah. want to go down. This this yeah. fucking dumbass. He's yeah. a Sicilian from Brooklyn. He don't carry a gun. Those out are the at, best. At, he doesn't carry a gun out in out <laughs> yeah. in out in the out in the really? rainforest. I'm like, what uh, the fuck is wrong? With yeah. He's like, ah, no, we 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 work off the land. I'm like, fuck that. If I got if I got an uncontacted tribe shooting six foot arrows at me, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a what about the animals peace with me? What about the animals? The animals. Yeah. This motherfucker will fall asleep next to like he, yeah. he has a story. He fell asleep next to next to what was it a pan, a jaguar? Really? Yeah, with it just breathing oh. is. And I'm like, Paul, it's yeah. wild, dude. Oh, yeah. Listen, I'm all about not shooting yeah. animals too. But if they're about to eat me, yeah. you don't really have a choice. Hopefully, is, God watches over them. I yeah, well, so, clearly. I mean, yeah. the guy's got we'll call nine bots, pots, oh bots. Right? Yeah. yeah. Oh my bots. God. Yeah. Unbelievable. But yo, that was a great little tangent right yep, there. I yep, love cool. that you're interested yeah. in that. But totally. we were talking about your. We got into this because we were talking about your family life. Yeah. So my at family home, life. Yeah. So and with your mom's side and your dad's side. So you did grow up in a home where, like you said, you're coming home. Dinner yeah. at five thirty, yeah. yeah. and your mom, when you're a teenager, starting mm-hmm. to do this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, what did she think you were out doing at night? My mother, I brought home a tag job El Dorado. I remember, yeah, and I, I remember a tag. I bought a rack. I t- back then, there's so many numbers on a car now, but back then, you used to take out the windshield, pop the VIN. There was a tag in the left side of the windshield, just in the very front of the dashboard, where the where the windshield meets the dashboard, and there were two little rivets. And if you got GM, the GM original GM rivets. You could literally just pop that tag out, put your own tag in, and and replace the rivets, put the windshield back in, and that's your car. Hmm. And now if auto crime stopped you back then, they didn't go too crazy. Maybe sometimes they checked the door, but they usually just checked the VIN number. Or if a traffic cop, auto crime, I shouldn't say. Auto crime did a little better job. But if a typical tra- cop, traffic cop stopped you at a light, he'd look and he'd say, okay, the VIN matches, and you know your uh, registration and everything, it's good, and give you a ticket and you leave. So you got away with this. So we were taking cars left and right. So I bring home an Eldorado Baritz, and I remember my mother came on the porch, and I, she goes, your father's never stole anything in his life. Oh. And I said, Mom, I didn't either. She goes, please, please, Lois, you're breaking my heart. I said, Mom, I'm fine. I'm not doing it. I'm working at Ciro's shop. Ciro was my friend who eventually became my co-defendant years <laughs> later. I go, I'm working at Ciro's shop, and he pays me. He gave me an advance. He gave me the call. I'm paying him off. She goes, you're breaking my heart, Lewis. Please don't do she this knew. to me. She knew. My, it's a mother, right? It's a mother. So she went inside, and she was all choked up, and I said, son of a bitch, I got to park the car around the corner from now on or something. I'm breaking my <laughs> mother's heart. Yeah. Forget about taking your family for a ride. Yeah. So, so you know, my, my, my mother knew, and then what happened was, I'm going to tell you what happens. This is, this is how the trajectory of my life went and how I went off the deep end. My mother, who kind of knew, now she's 46 years old. I'm 19 or 18 when she gets sick. Mm. And she she's she goes, We're in, believe it or not, I'll tell you a crazy story. I'm in Florida with a friend of mine, and his car broke down. So I says, All right, it was a Trans Am. I go, All right, let me steal you one. We'll pop your tag, I'll put it on that one and drive home. So we did that. So now he's got a beautiful brand new Trans Am we're driving home in. And my father, I call home to say, Hey dad, how you doing? I'm coming home. I'm on my way home from Florida. He goes, Your mother's got a lump, he said. And he goes, I'm taking her to the doctor. He goes, You should really get home. I said, what's a lump? 
He says, a lump. She feels a lump in her back, he said, you know. So I'm taking her in. He says, but get home. Get your ass home, will you? I said, all right, Dad, I'm on my way. So my friend drops me off in his tag job. I go home. My mother went. Turned out she had lung cancer. Mm. And most beautiful woman you ever saw. Absolutely gorgeous. Could run a, could run a marathon in great shape. And all of a sudden, they gave her a year to live. And she's got lumps the size of cantaloupes growing out of her oh. head within the next few months. Yeah, and she fell apart in front of me. And I took care of her. And I would, go, I would literally just like, I was still a criminal, but I would spend so much time with my mother taking care of her, knowing that's it. When she died in my arms, because I didn't want to take her in, I said, I'm not putting her in a home. I'm not putting her in a house. I want, to, I want her to die with us at home. So we literally kept her to the last minute. I used to, she used to stop breathing. I would roll her over and she'd catch her breath again. She'd stop breathing again. I'd roll her over. You know, that's how far we went trying to keep her at the house. The last day she dies in my arms, we just get her to the hospital. We called in. We said, we, my father goes, we have to call Lewis. We got to bring her in. And we did. Uh, but there was nothing they could do for her, obviously. So she dies when we get there. I went off the deep end after that. So if I was, if I was like, if my, if I was criminally minded then, or if I was a little, you know, how to, if I was the kind of guy who would defend myself, then I became the guy who would be violent. In other words, if there was any, she taught me from when I was a kid, there is a God. If me and your dad, you know, if me and your father aren't around one day, always remember there's a God above. My mother would teach me that when I was a little kid and my sister, you know, we would sit and kneel down on our beds and pray at night with my mother. I remembered all that. It's weird that my mother would say that not knowing she would die young. But so mm. anyway, all of those lessons went out the window. I said, if there's a God and he let my beautiful mother, who was the moral compass in my life, the only thing that broke my heart when I saw her saying, oh, Lewis, with the car, please. I said, it's got to be an evil God because she melted to nothing. Mm. How would God let such a beautiful woman, you know, uh, uh, disintegrate like this in front of my eyes? You know, like, and there's animals, the, the wise guys are on the corner who kill people, who shoot people. They're doing mm. fine. The body shop guys who are buying cars from me, they're doing fine. Chopping on a cigar. You know, the, the guys who buy hijacked trucks from me, they're doing fine. They're going to Florida. They got a tan in the winter. They got a, a $30,000 Rolex with a diamond bezel on. Why are they doing okay? Why are they on vacation? Why are they going out to dinner every night? And my mother melted away in a bed. If there is a God, he can't be a good one. That was my feelings at the time. Obviously, that changed later on in prison. I reevaluated things. I looked deeper into things. I studied philosophy, history, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get into that if you want. But at this point, I said, if there's a God, it's not a good God. And I went off the deep end. Now, if you want to hurt somebody, send me. Mm. Send me. Julian owes us 100000 He ain't paying. I'll go get it. It's the villain villain origin story. Oh man, so to speak. I was off the I was off the charts like that, you know. And I, you know, I started, you know, getting a little bit of a trigger finger. You know, my my trigger finger started itching a little. You know, I wanted to, I didn't care anymore. So how'd your dad take it? My father was a mess. My father, this was the love of his life. This is the I used to go. I used to bring my father the year after she within the the first year after she died. I bring my father, like I said, Dad. I'd open the room and he'd be laying in bed with his arm around the pillow. You know, he was a broken man. And I'd say, Dad, did you eat today? What? What? I said, did you eat today, Dad? And I'd go out and I'd get him something to eat. Um, you know, maybe I'd cook uh, spaghetti aliolia, bring it up and leave it on his, on, on his dresser. And, and then I'd go back there. Two hours later, it was still sitting there. I thought he, you know, my father was done. So I had no supervision. I mean, that's like when I was running all over the United States, too. If you gave me a tip... 
they got they got surveillance photos of me knocking off. I was planning an armored car heist. Actually, we went out to California to knock off a Loomis armored car, and the FBI, thank God, grabbed us like the day before we were we were planning to make the move, you know, to jump. But we still had guns in the room. We had duct tape. We had two-way radios. We had walkie-talkies. You know, we had the makings of, you know, everything ready. We're going. And and the FBI grabbed us in California. But I'd just take a trip to California. If you gave me a tip, I'm going. You know, get on a plane. Back then, before like 9-11, I'd go to a girl, book me a ticket, uh, put down uh, Joe Russo. You know, <laughs> you can't do that now. You know, you can't do I get on a plane, I'm Joe Russo. You know, like, so uh, you can't do those. Back then, you could do that stuff. No more. Our Discord and Patreon links are in the description. We are starting to do AMAs on Discord. And we are also now releasing a new show called The Julian and Alessi Show with my producer, Alessi Aleman, on Patreon, along with some other exclusive content from episodes that we have been putting out on YouTube that are not seen on YouTube. What, yeah. was, what was like a prime... That, I mean, that gets complicated mm. when you start talking about mm. going out of state just mm. to go do something. But when you were first, mm. after you did your first truck at like 17 and mm. it started to become a thing doing the truck, what mm. was, how would you decide what job to do, what truck to target, where to target it, mm. and how many guys you needed? Yeah, so the first, the first thing is the best thing. The best thing is a tip. You come to me and you say, look, I work for such and such a company. And, uh, you know, the truck leaves every morning at 8 o'clock. And this is where it's going. Or you're a driver. You could come to me and you say, there's a million reasons why people give tips. Maybe your wife's a spendthrift. Maybe you're a gambler. You know, you're always at the racetrack every free moment mm-hmm. you got. You're at Aqueduct or Belmont or, or, or you know, one of, one of the tracks. And you're, you're always in debt, maybe. And you come to me and you say, look, I'm working for this company. I drive this truck or that truck out of this place. And this is what I carry. Those are the easiest ones. You're going to give me the truck. How easy is that? The next step is... Maybe you route oh, the truck. Oh, that's like when they just walk it's out of the truck. Doop, 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 doop. Yeah, to give up. How you doing, boys? Yep. Yeah, the guy, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know. So well, I've had guys ask, tell me, give me a good crack. You know, they, now, say, they don't want to go for a lie detector and they want to be able to tell the cop with a straight face, look, I got a hit. What, so, what, what's, what's the commission on that? 10, 20%? 10% usually, 10%. Okay. You know, we, ha- we, had, we had a few incidents where a guy wanted more, you know, after the fact, after we agreed to the yeah. 10, and it ends up going to a sit down. He goes and digs up a great uncle who's a wise guy, and the wise guy wants to talk to me. And I say, look, the, this is really, really did happen, actually. Yeah. Ro- Ronnie Onearm, if you ever heard of Ronnie Onearm, he was a no. great guy. He's been away for life. Ronnie <laughs> Onearm was a good guy. I get a phone call. They, Ronnie Onearm wants to see me. Ronnie Onearm told Pete Gotti, so, oh, like the brother. Pete, John Gotti's brother, Pete. I yeah. was in and out of Pete's house every day for about six, seven years. Pete's we'll son was my that. friend, yeah. And I was close with Pete the father because Pete saw me there every day. And uh, so they called Pete Gotti and they said, uh, Ronnie Onearm wants to see Louie. So I go there. Ronnie Onearm, I got to tell you, was, was, a, was a diplomat, diplomatic guy. And I told him the story. It was a guy that gave, gave us a truck. Oh, actually, no, this wasn't a, a thing over the commission. We hijacked the truck. The truck was being stored in a friend of mine's yard, and the yard got raided. So we lost the truck. Mm. And the tip to the the tipster goes, "I want my ten percent." And we said, "We lost the truck ten minutes later. We don't have your money. What are we going to do? We never got paid." So you know, I mean, look, it not go, my problem, right? Yeah, it's a, it, it's a coin flip. It could go either way. Yeah. But Ronnie one arm was def- ended up defending the guy. And he called me down there and I said, look, we took, he goes, we'll take a walk around the block. So I took a walk around the block with him. I explained to him what happened. I said, look, Ronnie, I'm not trying to hustle the guy. This is what happened. Maybe the guy gives us another tip. We'll take another truck, whatever. I'll make it up to him. I'll give him 20% next time. Whatever the case is, I don't remember exactly how I said it. But Ronnie said, it's done. Don't worry about it. 
yeah, he squashed the beef and ruled in my favor. So, yeah. I mean, look, I lost the truck. I don't, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't have to dig into my pocket, but somebody could have technically said, you still have to. He right. gave you the truck. Whatever the case is, I won the beef. And sometimes but, uh, these guys, though, if they gave you the truck, they make you hit them to make I, it look I've good. had guys, I, don't, I never wanted to hit somebody I knew, but I've had guys say, you know, give you me a shot. Him. So I would call one of my, what got, ended up being, you know, a guy in my crew. Maybe some of them ended up being my co-defendants later. But I would call a guy in my crew and I'd turn my back. I'd say, give him a crack. <laughs> yeah. Remember that scene in The Sopranos yeah. where he's like, all right, Mikey, give him a yeah. whack. And he's like, yeah, 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 right here. And then he yeah. goes, whoa, 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 yeah. whoa, whoa, yeah. stop. Yeah. He keeps going. Yeah. He's like fucking kicking yeah. the guy. He's no, like, we, we never did that. Crack. Yeah, we never did that. But so, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes we tied the guy up to so make it look good. You know, oh, there you go. We did all of that. Now, that's now the, did you like zip ties or rope? There's usually zip ties. Zip ties like were the easiest ties. things yeah. in the world. Yeah, yeah they're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny when I ended up with zip ties from the FBI one day, you know, right? So, yeah, yeah. But no. Oh, they zip ties? No, yeah. no, no. But, yeah, uh, I had zip ties on me for once. Yeah, I don't remember exactly who it was, Secret Service or FBI. Somebody zip tied me once, yeah. Wow. Yeah, but um, whatever. Federal the, government's getting a little yeah. light in the pocket Oh, they do. There, if, they, if they do a big raid with a lot of guys, they use zip ties, the FBI. I'm almost positive. Oh, oh, actually, yeah. that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't thinking like a raid like that. Yeah, no. If they got to put people, yeah. yeah. I was so, thinking like a regular arrest. I'm like, no, Damn, regular arrest. They, they march you out of your your house. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had that too. So, but uh, so so the, the you know, I mean, that's it. The, the next best thing is if a guy gives you and he tells you, look, I route the trucks or I'm in the place, and this is the tip. That's the next best. But you got to take the guy on your own, though. You know, there there was like, you know, how many guys would you need for that? Believe it or not, I could jump on the truck myself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you jump on it. You got a gun, right? You got a gun. You tell the guy, listen, one time a guy, I, tell, I, I was telling my friend recently, there was a battery truck. We took this on the fly. It was, a, it was a truck full of car batteries. And the guy panicked. And he drove the thing into the wall of a cemetery. And I just got out and said, I'm out of here. What the fuck am I going to do? I can't get this truck out, you know, now. So, you know, so shit happens. But for the most part, if you... If you bring a big gun and you put the you know fear into somebody, they usually comply. And then the first thing we would do is say to the guy, and again, I regret this now. I want your, vis- your viewers and listeners to know, I have gone through the years of regret. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the other side now of that. I could speak about it more lightly. I believe you. Yeah, we, I promise you it. I did. Yeah, I promise yeah. you I did. I Thank believe you. you. Thank you. So, you, you know, I mean, uh, if you use a gun, you put the fear guy, you know, fear into the guy. I don't want to say the fear of God. I don't want to use God's name in this. But if you put fear in the guy, the next thing you do, once you got him subdued, the first thing we would do is say, listen, you're going to be with your wife tonight for dinner. You, you're married. You got kids. I promise you, we don't want to hurt you. Are you what wearing we a mask ever? I did a lot without a mask on, yeah. um, which was a little wild. You know, one time I was hitting these trucks. Somebody gave me a tip. I was a kid and they gave me a tip on these uh, lawn. The guys, they used to have these little vans with a drop box in the side and you would pull down the drop box in the side of the van and put a big bag of coins in there and drop it into this big, big tank in the bo- and that's locked inside the truck. A friend of mine gave me the tip. He worked for the company. They, they emptied the industrial size laundromat machines in buildings all over Manhattan, the Bronx, everywhere. And at the end of the day, these little trucks with coins would add up to 15, 20 grand in quarters. Mm-hmm. So I hit one. It's easy. I tell the guy, get out drive the truck away. I hit another one. My co-defendant eventually becomes my co-defendant. He hits one. It got to the point where we would just like pull up at a light and I go, there's a gun under my seat. I'll pick you up around the block. Go get the truck. You know, like, and he get out. One of my co-defendants did that once. He got out, jumped in with the guy, followed him. 
I followed him onto the LIE. He got off on the LIE. I saw the driver get out, kiss the ground, and my co-defendant drove away, and I followed him. We took the truck. But we were doing them so often that the guy who who worked in the place, he goes, hey, Lou, I, I think you got to stop hitting the trucks. Yeah. So I didn't – I go, look, maybe they're not all us. We hit a couple, but maybe somebody else is hitting them too. He goes, no, no, it's you. He goes, they got a picture – a sketch that looks identical to you in the building. So I said, okay, I'm done. I better stop. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, they got somebody did a sketch of me. How many yeah. of these do you think you did in your life, Paul? Oh, trucks yeah, overall? Yeah. Trucks. Dozens. Dozens. Yeah. Dozens. It was a daily, you know, it was a regular thing. I'm doing, and, and heist. I should say heist too. If you told me there's a business with a safe in it, payrolls, you know, payrolls 85,000. Could payrolls, you crack a safe yourself? Oh, it's funny because we had, we had, I can't, no. But I had, had a guy. I had a safe cracker once. One yeah, day yeah. I called the safe cracker. He was famous for safe cracking. I got a big safe. Called the guy up. He was Vinny the safe cracker or Gino the, whatever Sounds the fuck right. his name. Yeah. Comes over. And he takes out a sledgehammer, blowtorch. <laughs> I go, what the fuck? I was picturing it. I thought it was going to slide gloves yeah, on. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like Yeah, that. like this, put his ear to the thing, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I got to see firsthand what a yeah. safe's made of. It's concrete with like this rebar inside, mm-hmm. netting. And then, you know, obviously we got into it. And <laughs> when you're opening a safe, there were some, some tips are good where we got something. Some tips, we opened it up one time. All that was in there was the receipt for the safe. Ooh. Yeah. So that was a letdown. Yeah. So, you know, it depends, you know, but- the streets, believe it or not, are exciting. I'll never have that excitement again as long as I live. And I don't oh, want it. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, I don't yeah. want it either because it's 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 a bad excitement. It's bad karma that comes with it, et cetera. Yes. But I will never have that sort of that you know, cowboys on the range type of thing, that feel, right? It's yeah. crazy that you can live in a city like this, right, mm-hmm. with all these people mm-hmm. packed in so close. Mm-hmm. And it can be like the Wild Wild West movies. That's right. You know, that's where right. everyone's supposedly spread out and yeah. everything. But that's, yeah. you yeah. know, that's what it is. And, and yeah. you know, you get a chance to see, look, I, I know some of it bothers you personally because obviously you wish you didn't do this stuff. But nonetheless, you get to see people at their worst moment yeah. when you're doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, you yeah. stick a gun in someone's face. Yeah. I, I don't want to say well, you learn thing. who they really are because yeah. we, we I, most of us would be like yeah. panicked. I mean, how yeah. do you react to that? Yeah. But did you – I guess the way I want to ask this is could you – did you get to a point where you could read right away if you were dealing with someone who was fearful pretty, and, and was going to do whatever you said or you were dealing with a cowboy? Pretty quick, yeah. So it's intuitive. What did you look for? Uh – well, you know right away somebody's reaction because a lot of the reactions are instinctual. So somebody's reaction, they're either gonna they're either gonna start shaking, you know, and and they're traumatized right away, which is the best reaction. I hate to say it, or the reaction is we had one guy who went to went to come at one of my co-defendants. Eventually, became a co-defendant. He was a crew member at the time. Came at him. He rushed at him. That was his instinct. And you know, thank God we were able to subdue the guy. Nobody got hurt. It was fine. Uh, I look back and say. Somebody could have got killed. We could have got oh, yeah. killed. All, all, you know, anything could have happened. But the, in, it's instinct. It's like um, I study the brain now. I wrote a book about the brain, the three-pound crystal ball. It's about the dreaming brain. It's a theory I developed in prison. I wrote about it now. It's been praised by an MIT scientist. It was praised by a Nobel laureate, science Who? laureate. Uh, Carrie Mullis read it, loved it, said I can't put my name to it, unfortunately, which sucks. Can look but that the up? MIT, that yeah, familiar. you can check it Carrie out. Carrie Mullis? Yeah. That sounds very yeah. familiar. Brilliant guy. I assume he's still alive. But when I wrote it a few years ago, I contacted him. And there's also- Wait a minute. Hold on. Pull that up. Mm -hmm. Pull that up and stick that on the screen, Alessi. I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. 
No, this guy's not alive. Oh, he died. Oh, my God. When did he die? Because I wrote the book a few oh years Oh, my back. God. I thought it was... I thought that's who you said. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. This guy, mm -hmm. while he was alive, mm -hmm. detested Anthony Fauci. Oh, Detested wow. him. Wow. Interesting. Like RFK. And, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess same type of idea, but he this was... That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the only Brilliant time I ever guy. heard about this guy. Now, he just... He and Fauci, like, had beef. Yeah, that's interesting. So the yeah. reason why I contacted him was I... He's had, very dead, though. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't know sorry that. What a loss. shame. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what a shame. Yeah. Well, I, I contacted him because I read somewhere he was open-minded as far as stuff like... My book has a lot to do with time, and... And it's an experience a lot of people have where you're dreaming something. It's like it's called the theory of sleep aid, AID, mm. anticipatory incorporation dreams by me. Louis yeah, Ferrante. minus the S, it's a little better now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, And uh, he was sort of open-minded to stuff that was more so not based in solid scientific uh, um, research, but more so if there was something that was interesting that's happening in the paranormal side – he was open-minded, ready to listen to it. Not that he would he would concede that it's true, but he was willing to listen. And when I found out that, I said, well, this is something that's going on in the brain when we're sleeping. And I put all the neurological uh, 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 traces together, by the way. I traced it all in the head. It's it's. I used um, – I premised the book on uh, – uh, with my own experiences, by the way. And then I used as a foundation – a lot of work Einstein did in the area of physics and a lot of work Sigmund Freud did in the area of psychology. Oh, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's deep. And Freud, obviously, for the most part, has been debunked for a lot of reasons, for mm -hmm. a lot of things he said. But It's a nasty guy, too. Yeah, but I, I go after him in a sense, too. I call him as like a hostile witness. In the way I laid out the theory, I do it as sort of like a case, like a trial. And I'm and you got some experience with that. Yeah, exactly. That's why I did it. Exactly. I, you know, I've been in a courtroom so long. So I use Einstein's my 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 sort of like chief witness. He's my prosecution witness because I'm the prosecutor in this mm, case for a change. This is interesting. For a change, I'm the prosecutor, right? Instead of the yeah. defendant. So I'm the prosecutor, and as I'm prosecuting the case, Einstein's my chief witness, my star witness. And I call Freud to the stand as a hostile witness because he did not believe it starts out with a dream that appears in the interpretation of dreams that he talks about. And he evaluated this dream completely wrong. He analyzed it completely wrong. And I reanalyze it right. You should read the book and see. Yeah, it's, it's this called, is, yeah, you have three, me sold. Yeah, the three-pound crystal ball, the theory of sleep aid, and the unconscious mind's exclusive access into the corridors of time. A little bit of a long title. So you got to be kind of like into that to even follow the title. Yeah. You know, most people are like, yo, you lost me at sleep aid. You know, I'm asleep already. But if you're into this, the people who are into it, look, my books, my books sell tons of copies. My last book, International Bestseller in 20 Languages. Hopefully this Congrats. one will sell. Yeah, hopefully this one will sell off the charts. But uh, that's a great yeah. cover, by the way. Isn't it cool? Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's the U.S. Good, cover. UK did a pretty good job. Good, too. Simple design. Thank you. For cool. sure. Thank you. Wow. Uh, but I don't the, the sleep, uh, the dream book, the dreaming brain. I put it out myself. My agent goes, I can't put it out for you. You're not a neuroscientist. I said, I'll self-publish it then. That's fine. Oh, you self-publish that one. She goes, I can't sell it. Yeah. I'm with HarperCollins, Random House, Orion, right. Simon & Schuster, but Pegasus. But this one wasn't. My agent goes, it's impossible. You don't have the credentials. Right. You're not a scientist. You're not a neuroscientist. You're not a physicist. You're nothing. You're just an ex-convict and an ex-criminal, <laughs> you know, and an ex-mobster. God do it. damn it. That's why I'm right. Yeah. So I said, son of a bitch, I'll, I'll self-publish it. Now, I don't. The very few people who read it, 
My royalties are like five, 10 bucks a month. There's no money involved. I wrote it, took me a year to write. I put the time in myself. I didn't get paid for it, hmm. but I had to get it out there for humanity. And the reward not doesn't come in money, but it comes when somebody emails you because of the few people who do read it. They send me the most beautiful emails going, son of a bitch, you cracked this for me. I've been having mm. these dreams since I'm a kid. Finally, someone defined it for me and put it all together in the human brain. And and so that's where, where that's my cool. reward comes from. Yeah. That's very cool. You have a lot of you have a lot of different interests. I do. That's, that's, like you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like that's you. why I do this. Well, we but talk I'm, to each other. But I'm <laughs> saying, man, like, yeah. you know, it's crazy to think that when you're young and coming up, you know, one way to do things, right? Mm -hmm. You you got it. This is this is the world. This mm -hmm. is how I make money. This is how I move forward. Boom, 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 boom. Because mm -hmm. you're kind of like a fat obviously people could tell you're a fast paced guy. Let's get to the next thing. Mm -hmm. But then you get a little older, you get some, I guess, some time to think about some stuff in prison, mm -hmm. and suddenly you're like, wow, there's a whole, there's a whole yeah. other world out there. I've exactly. never, I've never sat back and thought about this. Yeah. Like, did you, what, what was the latest you went to school? Like, did you high graduate high school? Yeah, high school, that's it. My, and I never right, read so a you book were still, in my life. You were still going to class yeah. during all these years. Believe Robin it or Chip? not, I had a chop shop while I was in high school. I would literally go right there after high school. I drove stolen cars to high school. I mean, this is like totally like while I'm going to high school. I played JV football, and then I made. I remember I made the varsity team, and I quit because I was then too deep by then. So by junior year, I couldn't play football anymore. It's like I got to get out of here. It's three o'clock. <laughs> I got cars waiting for me. You know, the football field. Hey, ho, hey, boom, right, yeah. oh, go, go, left, right, left. I'm going, I ain't got time for this shit. <laughs> you know, who's got time for that? I got a chop shop sitting waiting for me. So, but I, my mother said to me, <sighs> my mother's brother who went, who was a hijacker, she goes, my brother never graduated high school. I think my mother did, but she goes, my brother never graduated high school. If she didn't, she wouldn't have told me, but, mm. but she goes, my brother never graduated high school. Please, please, please finish high school and go to college. So I told my mother, I'll finish high school. No promises on the college. So I did finish high school, even though I was doing all that already. So I made sure I finished. Now, having said that, I was literate. I went to high school. I got through it with, the, with C's and D's. No star student. But I never read a book in my life. If there was a book report, somebody did help me. You know, I'd get somebody mm. to, to, to help me with the. There was a nice girl who used to help me. You know, there was a guy I knew who I still know to this day. He used to help me with my reports or my homework. You know, when I come in the last minute, get it together or copy something. I remember Jorge Avia, who was a close friend of mine, used to go like this. He sat in front of me a lot. He had oh, A, yeah, B, C, yeah, D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, George, number six. You know, six. <laughs> and he go like this, you know. So everybody was always helping me get through without me having to do the work which was a bad thing to have that horrible foundation because yeah. I had to learn it then later on. The, how I learned the importance of hard work, believe it or not. Everything was a scam going through high school. Just get through. Never read the book, never did the homework myself, always scamming. Paid somebody to help me if I had to. Now here I am, I'm in, I'm in jail. And I reversed my own case from prison. I went through seven attorneys, hired and fired seven attorneys. The late William Kunstler, the radical civil rights oh, attorney. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. was my attorney. He was the Chicago 10 or Chicago, Chicago 9, 7. Chicago yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, 7, 8, Malcolm 10. X, Martin Luther King, yeah. Road to Freedom Buses. Yeah. Incredible man. We became close. He represented me on my first case. He died, unfortunately, and, but he was my first lawyer. I went through six more lawyers. How'd you get hooked up with him? Which one? Which member went, of the family hooked you up? Yeah, I went to see Consler. Actually, I went to see him, and he said, "Any friend of John Gotti's is a friend of mine." Oh, that's a so, good. So yeah, friend he goes, to "Come have. in." Yeah, he goes, "Come in." So he God repped damn. me. Yeah, he repped me. Yeah, tip my hat. But to you him. were you were sentenced to like thirteen years or something, but you only did eight and a half. I faced life, and 
eventually what happened was the government offered me 20 years and my co-defendants like 17, 18, you know, because they were all less than me. I was the, considered the boss of the crew. How old are you? Uh, I went in when I was 25 and we fought our cases for three years. So I'm probably like between 25 and 28, we're fighting our cases. Wow. So, what years is this? Like mid-90s? Uh, 94. I went in, 94. Yeah. And uh, so I'm in there and they're offering now, we're trying to get a plea because we know we can't try them. At, you know, they had... They had my, they had no, they uncovered, they excavated my whole life. Ex-girlfriends, you name it, they went to every friend. The FBI did an incredibly great job tearing apart my life to get me. And I'm going to tell you, the agent, I tip my hat to him. He he went a long way in changing my life because I said, you can't beat the FBI. First of all, they have the the resources of the world behind them, right? It's unlimited resources. But on top of that, the agent that went after me was like, uh, what was his name? I don't know if I could say it. Uh, actually, I guess I could. Yeah, you can say it. Yeah, agent, agent Jim Wynn. Yeah, you're complimenting yeah, him. Yeah, he re- I am complimenting him. He was That's a great fine. agent. He was actually, you know, went a long way in changing my life because he was a dogged, he was a, he, he was a dogged agent and dogged pursuit of me. And I said, just, you, you can't win. You can't beat these people. You know, every, every time I turned around, he was knocking on another door. He was here. He was there. He was looking at me. He was, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm driving here. He's over there too. So I'm like, he made me feel like public enemy number one. Mm. And eventually um, they ended up offering somebody the witness protection. When they started offering people witness protection program and guys were calling me saying, yeah, the feds offered I said, I'm dead. Yeah, if they're done. willing to pay four or five grand a month or whatever to give these guys 10,000. You said you had 17 and 18 year olds on, on the, on the Uh, case as well with uh, you. No, I was the youngest one. So I was the youngest one. Oh, I misunderstood that. Oh, everybody, everybody was older than me. All my guys, my crew were their thirties and forties. So let me rewind, tell you how actually I got pinched. Where did I hear 17, 18? Uh, When I started, I was 17, 18. Maybe me. Sorry, I missed that. No, it's all right. So uh, we had a fence that used to be the 47th street jewelry district was where everything big ends up. Like, for example, let's say you stole uh, all the diamonds in Tiffany's window tomorrow. Where are you getting rid of them? Whoever you sell them to, somehow, some way, they're going to oh, end up- Oh, you got up, a fence. You got a fence. And one of the, there's only like a half a dozen fences in the, in the jewelry district that could handle anything. If you bring them the Queen's jewels, you stole them from the Tower of London. Or if you bring them the Stanhope diamond- there was only a few people who could do something with that. If you bring them a Frederick, Re- a Frederick Remington, you know what? The How f- would they do something with that? They got the guys to take it. So they have people. They might have a guy who's willing to stare at a Picasso the rest of his life and just hang it in his room and stare at it. But because you can't, what are you going to do with a Picasso? You're going to sell it to an art gallery? Yeah, you can't. You can't. So you got to have somebody. You know, you got people. Or he's got people that cut things up, or you know, people who distribute things. People, but he could take anything. And the guy that I worked with was one of those guys, but he was probably the biggest one. He was on the streets for like decades. And he was my friend's uncle. I called him Uncle Billy. I referred to him in my memoir, Unlocked, as Uncle Jimmy, or a tough guy in the UK. But his real name was Uncle Billy. I could say it now. It's been a long time. And Uncle Billy was our fence. Anything I bought him, he took. I liked using him more than the mob fences because the mob fences are pain in the asses. Hey, Louie, you know, <laughs> they think because you want to, you know, you want to rise up in the mob, they could chew you down to nothing, right? right? Louie, five grand's good for this, right, Louie? You know, <laughs> meanwhile, it's worth 50. Go scratch your ass. Yeah. So I would go to Billy, and Billy, if it was worth 50, Billy gave you the 50. So why not go to Billy? So we were always going to Billy, always going to Billy, and Billy would even sometimes do something that's unheard of. Let's say I went to Billy and I say, look, I got, uh, I got a tractor trailer full of microphones, 
and and whatever it is. I'm just using this as an example. I got a tractor trail full of microphones. Yo, if you got the hookup for that. Exactly, right? I'll bring them to you. Yeah, <laughs> I got to check where this one's from, actually, now that you said that. No, just joking. So I said, look, uh, I'd say to Billy, look, I got a tractor trail full. He go, how many? What's the manifest? What's it say? Okay, this is what I'll give you. He would even take the money out in his apartment. He, he had an apartment overlooking Times Square. Hmm. I'd stare at the going, wow, I'm in the big time. I thought I was a young kid. I'm in an over, I'm in a big apartment overlooking Times Square. He's giving me fifty, a hundred thousand at a time. Doorman's Sometimes watching more. you go by up there. Oh like, yeah, Dorm, doorman knows who we are God pretty much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh and we're and we're big tippets, you know. Doorman gets twenty on the way in, twenty on the way <laughs> all out. Right, all right. Yeah. Go yeah, ahead. now it's like, you know, now I'm a regular citizen. If I give you a five, it's good. You know, but I gave the twenty on the way in, twenty on the way out. There you go. So we would and, and hundreds on Christmas, no problem with the doorman. Always tip well. Always. always. So always. Joe Watts was the biggest tipper in the mob. I gotta tell you right now. My friend Fat George DeBello worked the uh the club at John Gotti's social club in, in Ravenite. George said, I said, Joe, Joe Watts. Wait, the one in Queens? In Queens, not the Ravenite in the city. The Bergen Hunt and Fish Oh, Club Bergen Hunt and Fish, yeah, yeah, Right, yeah, and yeah, George yeah. either worked out or some, usually the side street. John Jr. had a club yep. on the side street. So Fat George DeBello, the late Fat George DeBello, who was a dear friend of mine R. for R. decades. P. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. One of the greatest souls ever. I love you, George. Uh, he passed on now recently. But he was, um, uh, where was I? What, I'm thinking about George now in heaven. You were talking about when you were in the apartment in Times Square and tipping, right. and you were talking about who Joe the Watts. We jumped were. to Joe, Joe Watts, Watts briefly. Yeah, yeah. So Joe Watts, Joe Watts was Joe Watts paid for one of my attorneys. Joe Watts sent Charlie Carnese up to see me. I said, Charlie, I had told you I had seven attorneys at one time or another. <laughs> I says, Charlie, I says uh, I'm going to have my friends meet you on the street and pay you to retain her. He goes, it's already taken care of. Joe Watts took care of it. So Joe, give you an idea how generous Joe Watts was. I wasn't on Joe's case. I had nothing to do with his case. Joe liked me and it paid for one of my attorneys. The most generous guy you ever meet. Wow. So George told me if Joe walked into the club, Joe would say, give me a glass of water from the tap, $100. Yep. He'd say, do me a favor, refill it, $100. On the way out, $100. George says, two glasses of rusty tap water. I got 300 from Joe Watts. That's generous. That's generous. Joe Watts was one of a kind. But anyway, getting back to the thing, Billy would give us the money, and he always, always, always either gave it to us up front. Defense Defense guy. Yeah. yeah. And or as soon as I got to where I was going, the money was waiting there, COD, but always got it. Never had a problem with him. There was one time, there was one time where we thought he was starting to lowball us, and we didn't want to go to the guys, like I told you, the mob guys who were chewing on cigars are really always looking to lowball you. I didn't want to go to them. So I thought Billy was lowballing us a little. And I says, look, let's give him a phantom load. I told my friend who was his real nephew. Let's say we got a load. And then we'll say at the last minute, we dumped it somewhere else just to keep him honest. Let him know we could go elsewhere. Don't let him think he's the only fence we use. Mm. You know? So let's just, instead of taking a load somewhere and getting stiffed by somebody in the Gambino family or somebody on the West Side or somebody in the Bonanno family, let's give him a phantom load and say we went somewhere else with it. And, you know, we'll get the next one to you, to Bill. So he says, all right. So we, we, we floated the idea that we had this load. I can't remember what it was at the time. And then we said we went somewhere else with it. Done. Years later, this is years later, I hit all these things. I'm doing army cars. They, they, they said I did an army car depot, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Years later, we get subpoenaed by the feds. This is when the feds start coming after me. Mm. They come to my house. I, I went out the back door. I told my friend, pick me up around the block. I, I left through the yards. I did the, the fences in the yards. He picked me up. We take off. I went to my friend's store. I'm in the store telling him I just got subpoenaed at my house. He, 
and somebody else Lou, the feds are coming in now. I said, shit, they're here already? They know every fart I do. I'm out. I went out the back door there. Eventually, they got me. They subpoenaed me. When they subpoenaed me, they give a list of crimes to the lawyer, like a dozen things or something that we did, whatever it was. And all the trucks and stuff and the heist, I recognized. Here's something interesting. Let me not give a spoiler out. Okay. Let me do it in pace. Billy, the fence, calls us and says, I got subpoenaed. So we says, oh, shit, I did too. And by now, my friend, his nephew, got subpoenaed. So I says, we got subpoenaed too. He says, come to the city. We'll talk about it. I says, all right, good. We're on our way in tonight. So we're heading into the city. We're on the LIE, and we're approaching the Midtown Tunnel. And there was this eatery we used to eat at, this guy Bertino's. Bertino's mother used to do all the cooking. He was in like the Maspeth section of Queens. It was a mm. big banana stronghold down mm. there. And he used to do all the, his mother did all the cooking and it was all homemade Italian food, like buffet style. If you wanted a plate, he'd make it for you. So I said, let's go to Bertino's and grab a bite. We might be in the city all night. And I, we can't go talk about this at the Cat's Deli or something, you know, where, we, you know, this is something we want to stay in his yeah. apartment. Yeah. So let's go get a bite to eat and we'll go in. So we're at Bertino's. And we're on our way into the city. And I tell him, I'm looking across from my friend. And I go, your uncle's the rat. He goes, what? I go, your uncle's the rat. What the fuck are you talking about, Louis? He goes, my uncle's no rat. Your uncle's the rat. How do you know? I says, they gave us a list of things, the feds, that they're investigating. All these trucks we did, all these heists we did. This one. You remember that one? No, we didn't do that. What was that? It was the phantom load we didn't do, that we told them we were going to do, that we told them that we had, and then told them we sold it to somebody else to keep them honest. Yeah. Only he would know about that load. He's oh, the rat. shit. Yeah, exactly. We never stole it. It was, it was a thing we never took. So he goes, son of a bitch. My fucking uncle's a rat. <laughs> so I go, yeah. Tough moment. Yeah, I go, if we didn't stop at Bertino's, we'd be sitting in the room now with wired. You know, the, the FBI probably be in the other room. Cameras on us, wired. Billy would be wired. We'd be done. So he what'd you do? I go, call him up. Tell him we can't come. So I see what his reaction is. That'll confirm it. So he calls him up and he goes, we used to have- these, That'll mess up all my arrangements. We had these cell phones that were bigger than this book. I don't know if you remember. It was back when cell phones first like came out. Like the fucking Wall Street days? Oh, yeah. Like it was like, yeah, you got to lift it up. Yeah, yeah, you put it in your pants, your pants <laughs> fell down. Yeah, they were huge. So he calls him up. <laughs> hey, Billy. Yeah, yeah. He goes, look, if we didn't stop at Patino's, we'd be in the house already. Go, we can't make it, he says. He goes, what do you mean you can't make it? You got to come. We got to talk about this. He goes, no, no, we can't make it. Not tonight. You got to come. We can't make it. When are you going to come? When are you, you're a nervous wreck. Yeah. They had to have him. Either he was wired up or, like I said, they must have had the cameras set up. We were going to be in the living room going through all the heists that we did. In the living room. You're done. So, mm -hmm. look, now to the so you guys go whack him? No, no. He, he packed it up. He disappeared. I, I believe. Yeah. No, that. I didn't. Yeah. They eventually found somebody else who went into a witness protection program. But so, in the end, the FBI, to their credit, it might have taken them another year, year and a half, but they got me. They would have got me that night if we went into the city, I believe, but they eventually got me anyway. To the credit of that F FBI agent, did a phenomenal job mm. tearing apart my life, making me feel like I was public enemy number one. I thought I was John Dillinger. You know, I was like, well, who am I? You know, I'm and actually, though, there was a little truth to me feeling like from a mafia perspective, they might have thought I was the missing link because during the week I was in Pete Gotti's house. My, my telephone tone rec toll records went back and forth to Pete Gotti's house every day. John Gotti, 
John Gotti's oldest brother, Pete. Yeah, but where did he live? In Howell Beach. Yeah, and I was close with his son, so I went him too, obviously. So my toll, telephone toll records went back and forth. I saw, the, I saw all the toll records eventually, you know, when I'm facing trial. And then on the weekends, I got close with the Gigantes, Chin Gigante. Chin oh, Gigante's shit. You were, just, you were just hitting the yeah. big hitters yeah. here. And that was, that was strictly relationship. That was nothing to do with the mob. I was close friends with uh, uh, Chin Gigante's wife and daughter. And I used to spend the weekends there. They lived so, out in Jersey? In Jersey. They lived in Old Japan mm. at the time. They don't anymore. How the, old are you when you're spending the weekend away. out there? My 20s. Yeah, my, my 20s. Yeah, my early and to mid-20s. just rolling through? I come out. I'd say, Rita, I'm going to come by. Lou, come by for the weekend. So I go. Had he started the whole bathrobe thing at this oh, point? Oh, he'd been doing it for years. <laughs> I know exactly who he is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's wild. For, for I'd people. put on his bathrobes and walk around the house. Oh, my God. Yeah. All the people out there who don't know yeah. about this, a lot of mob people, obviously, who study the mob know about this. But Vinny the Chin Gigante, legendary mobster. He, he like faked that he was crazy and he would walk yeah. around in a bathrobe with like, you know, a mm -hmm. five o'clock shadow and have people like carrying him by the arm every day so that yeah. the feds would assume wow. he was nuts, but it was all a joke. Yeah. He was really a mob boss running the family. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. So he was, so he's still flipping between his gumad and in, in the city. That's correct. And old Tappan in a bathrobe. That's correct. And pretending. <laughs> now, how about this? What are the odds? His wife, who I was close with, his real wife who shared his name, Giganti, her name was Olympia. His gumada, who was really his, I shouldn't call her gumada because he had a family with her. It was a little more than a gumada. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, he had kids with her. It was his real wife. It was just, he was a polygamist, right? So let's, uh, let's, instead of calling it the gumada. Let's give him the credit he deserves. He's a real, he's a real genuine polygamist. Is he Mormon? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of like bringing her up from a gumada to really, she was, she was his other wife and he had okay. another family. He had a little son, you know. Uh, at the time, little he's now he's older. Son with him, with her. He had a daughter, a couple of daughters with the other one, and her name was Olympia too. Oh, both no. of them were named Olympia. Yeah. Now Olympia, the one I knew, told me the first time she knew. She said, "Lou, she tells me the story once. She goes, I used to once in a blue moon smell this perfume on him. So she always knew something was up. And he's, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? I don't know. She goes, I get in the elevator. I smelled the. Per we were going to court for him once. She said. I got in the elevator, I smelled the perfume, I look at her, and I gave it a look of death because I knew right away. And they looked her. at it. Yeah, they did the stare down. They did the like the OK Corral stare down on the elevator, these two women. I'd rather be at the OK Corral than between those two. Oh my God. Yeah. So that was the first time she kind of cracked the case, saw who she was, et cetera. And, uh, but anyway, when I came home from jail, there's actually a picture of me with Olympia on my website, louisferrante.com. Pull that up? Yep. And it's me with Olympia Gigante. Uh, if you go to the gallery section on my website, louisferrante.com, uh, there's a gallery section. There's me with Olympia Gigante. She wanted Is to she see me. Is she still around? I, no, she unfortunately passed on, but she wanted to see me when I came home from jail. So I went to see her, and it was her birthday party. I took a picture with her. Um, and her daughter's a doll. Rita, I love. That's me when I was a kid. Oh, that's you? Yeah, first time I held the gun is on the left. Look at that head of hair. <laughs> yeah, some head of hair, right? <laughs> You're yeah. like a year old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, the gun. That's me on the left, uh, on the bottom, the, that picture right there. That's, that's what, you on the left? That, no, no, that's Ronnie Gialonzo on the left, Peter Gotti, Pete's son on the right, John Gotti's nephew, and then I'm just to the left of Pete's son. That's when I was a kid. When that's I was younger. you? Yeah, that's me. That don't look anything like yeah, you. Yeah, it looks like, wow. yeah, I'm a bookworm now. Yeah, you look uh, like. Totally different. Holy shit. You look the, those are surveillance photos of me in California about to hit an armored truck 
and then uh and then the picture to the right is a is a body shop it's actually an abandoned building was once a body shop in in Maspeth it was a very big mafia stronghold that's where we used to bring all hijacked trucks the FBI took those pictures that's me when i was one of my pinches do I look this? I look different. I was going to say right? you 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 were hitting the gym a little bit. No? Oh no, that's in jail. That's that's I was doing a thousand push-ups a day. Yeah, but even if you go go up to that security footage picture real quick. Oh go yeah, up, yeah, yeah, up. yeah. You look like a brick shit yeah. house in yeah, that yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I was always you know you were like, always lifting. You hit the bench. Yeah, a little you have bit. One like, at the house. Yeah, too? I had like the Italian laborers yeah, build too. Like you know, uh, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. You look yeah. like fucking Popeye. Yeah, and that's me in jail. That's me getting arrested. And that's you in Olympia. Right there? Yeah, exactly, right? That, oh, that's me in Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. So she wanted to see me when I came home from jail. That was her birthday party. And then she died a few years later. Uh, wow. But she was a doll. Yeah, she was a really, really good person. That's something else. And uh, when, yeah. when did you first... So obviously you were doing these hits and stuff and it was all your own crew. When did you first get sucked into like being a crew within the mafia? Like when did they yeah. When so did they draft you? Yep, first round draft pick. That's exactly what it is. Yep, <laughs> nailed it. I'm hijacking trucks. And I, I've explained it this way before. I think it's the best way to explain it. If you open up, you have a show. You're getting millions and millions and millions of hits. Everybody loves you. You're making a living from this. At some point, if you don't pay your taxes, the IRS is going to come and go, hello, Julian. Are you planning to pay taxes at some point? Because we'd right. like to know what's going on. And you're going to have to then figure out how you're going to answer to the IRS. Well, that's the government. The underworld government is the mafia. So if you're hijacking trucks and you're doing it for a while, eventually they're going to get wind of it and they're going to go, okay, who are you with? Who are you paying? Who are you kicking up to? Who are you kicking up to? You're just running around the streets wild? You're going to end up in a trunk. So, and it's not something that you're running away from. It's something you want. Mm. You want that. You want, you get, you're in with the mob. You'll become bigger. You get, I got better tips. I got better, you know, I'm making more money now. I got protection. I got a beef. I hijacked a truck out of, out of Kennedy Airport once. The trucking huh. company belonged to a guy with the Lucchese family. Guy wanted to kill me. It goes to a sit down now. I have to apologize to him because I didn't know it was your truck. That's who like Henry Hill and all them were hitting. He was associated with them back when he, he was, was with Lucchese. They would, they, Valio. Yeah, they, they, would, Valio. they would hit the airport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they were, the airport's been done, get hit. Yeah. My generation, John Gotti did it. Mm -hmm. Most of us actually who come up... If you're involved in a mafia family, there's stuff that it's like built in. It's grand, grandfathered in. There's rackets that you're involved in. If you come from the Con Conti Key Food, Patsy Conti was my friend. Patsy, Patsy Conti's kids don't have to steal. They have a key food. They have supermarkets. Patsy kind of, you know, he laid the groundwork for his family. If you have uh, Castellano had meats and chickens, his kids could sell meats and chickens. And legitimately, I'm not saying any of these guys are criminals. They're legitimate people. The key food guys are legitimate. Castellano's legitimate. His kids. But he wasn't. And Conti wasn't. Right. The people. But they come up and they find things to do that have been done already by their fathers or grandfathers. When you have nothing and you're coming up like a John Gotti, what are you going to do? Your best bet at getting a lot of money quick is a hijacked truck. That's what I felt was my best. My Actually, I wish I stayed with the cars because... When I ended up getting pinched for all the heists and hijackings, I'm facing life. 
you know, 10, 10 years for each crime, five years on top of that each time a gun is used in the commission of a crime, times 10 is 100 plus 50, 150 years. And I'm going, shit, I could have stuck with the cars and got a slap on the wrist, <laughs> you know? So, you know, you move into the big time and yes. you pay big time. Yeah, because you're, you're you're stealing product. You're stealing, yeah. You're yeah. stealing and serious it's interstate shit. commerce. Yeah. Yep. So there's and a lot going on. It's interstate commerce. Kidnapping. It's armed robberies. Kidnapping. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's there's like so much bad, into it. Bad. Yeah, bad. So a whole different ball game. But uh, so anyway, so yeah, so the mobs, I start meeting mobs. Who was guys. the first guy who approached you? I don't know if I could tell you the first guy who brought me around where I ended up. All right, you can tell me off. He's active. I'll tell you off camera okay. when we're done. Yeah, uh, he's active now. You ever hit you up guy. for old time's sake these days? What's that? Uh, the- no, but a funny story. Somebody did email me when I wrote my memoir and he said, I hated the name you gave me. <laughs> yeah, because he knew, he knew who he was, right? You know, he's reading it and he knows I'm not a rap, but he knows who he is. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, we know the crimes we've done. Mm. So, you know, if you start telling, if you start mentioning 10 crimes you did, and I know I was, you know, I'll know from you the know. crimes. Yeah. Yeah. Which ones I was with you on. Yeah. So I love that he yeah. emailed you. He did. He emailed an me. Mission on, yeah. on electronic. I can't <laughs> even believe he emailed. Right? Like he knew Somewhere how to do there's a Fed going, yeah. that's so stupid, we're going to let it go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> or maybe the Feds should have chimed in and said, we didn't like the name you gave him either. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they're calling him that name now on their own chart somewhere. Oh, man. Yeah. Kind of wild. But uh, so, yeah, so eventually then you, you're meeting guys who are full of shit. And you yeah. meet guys who are real. How did so you get start, approached, though? Was it like on the street? Was it in a well, restaurant? Well, you're starting to deal with people. You need to sell your loads. So you're dealing with different people. And then you got, I know a guy this. I know a guy that. I know a guy. So you're meeting different guys that you got to get rid of stuff to. So mm-hmm. you're meeting some guys are on the fringe. Some guys are real. And then guys who are real, they want a piece of you. And now it's up to you now because it's, like it's, it's not just somebody puts a claim on you. Right. You want to be with somebody or not. So I was meeting guys that, for example... One of my friend's uncle, we told him once when we were kids, we were going to take him a truck, bring him a truck. My friend said this. And then when, after we hijacked the truck, I didn't know, actually, that he told him we're bringing him a truck. I had already arranged to bring the truck somewhere else. This was before Billy. And we brought the truck somewhere else. And then my friend's uncle said to my friend, why did you bring the truck to me? And he broke his jaw. Exactly. Broke his jaw, wired up his jaw. So now I said to myself, is this the guy I want to be around? Mm. One little mistake, you got a broken yeah, jaw and you're that. wired up for six weeks. Yeah. I'm done with that. Yeah. I don't need this guy. So you want to be around somebody. And for all the attacks on the Gaudis that people might say out there, the Gaudis stuck up for you. Richie Gaudi stuck up for me uh, at sit downs. Petey Gaudi stuck up for me at sit downs. And I know for the most part, I don't believe John ever sold anybody out. John was, they wanted to kill Angelo Ruggiero at one point, his best friend, and, you know, they were gumbadas since they were kids. He would never let him die. Look, the Gotti's stuck on. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the key to John Gotti's success. I don't think you can, and that's one thing I don't think you could take from the guy. Yeah. You know, you can no. say he was a sociopath and all that stuff. He definitely was, but that, I mean, he was a mobster's mobster. Mobster's mobster. And, he did the, he and did, you're with him. He, he ain't selling you prison. out. He died in prison. Yeah. Yeah. The whole bit. You, you, you get on the wrong side of gas pipe. Let's say a guy we mentioned earlier, gas pipe, mm-hmm. and there's money involved maybe. Gas pipe will sell you out in a heartbeat. He'll say, I could get another guy like him. The Gaudis did not sell you out. So I felt comfortable there. And eventually I felt comfortable with my friend Ronnie. Ronnie was my childhood friend. Ronnie would give you the shirt off his back. He man's man in every which way honorable, not just honorable in the Who's life. Who's son was he again? Uh, well, Ronnie Gialonzo was Vinnie Asaro's oh, nephew. Oh, I thought you were talking. Oh, okay. 
And, oh, he was. Oh, yeah. Okay, Vinny so Asylum's he was nephew. royalty too. Yeah, okay. I called him Uncle Vin. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, Uncle, I was close with Vin. He just died recently. I was and thinking then, of the other guy you were talking. What about, nobody yeah. knows is Ronnie's grandfather was a big wise guy. These guys went back to way back to uh, Castel uh, uh, Castel Castelmar del Golfo. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. So they, you know, they go all the way back, but uh, you know, and then you got guys that are like that. They're like, you know, they come down through generations, and then you got guys like me who popped up out of left field, and then. But you got a vowel at the end of your last name. It works. You got a talent well, and, you're and a around, vowel. And you're around people long enough. They're yeah. going to know who you are. You're around somebody 24-7. I don't back up an inch for nobody. If I got to go to jail, I'm going. Right. I'm not scared of nobody. I'm not scared of nothing. People will see if there's cracks in your armor, they're going to spot them. And it's unfortunate that all the rats, a lot of times these rats, if you look back at their lives, there's a lot of cracks in all their armor that people overlooked. Okay, that's Fats Al Mojota, my friend, he, he went bad, Fats Al Mojota. My friend was telling me one day, he goes, we went on this little vacation and we had these stolen uh, uh, snowmobiles in the, in the parking lot and the cops came and Fats Al's screaming, my son's not going to go to jail for this. You better, gotta, better go out there and talk to the cops. My son's not going to. He gave himself up when he became a rat five or six years later. Why were you surprised? Mm. That's not a man. My son's not going down for this. You better go down. My son's not. What, what, what are you saying? Your son stole the snowmobiles with the other guys. Why isn't your son going down for it? They all stole the snowmobiles together. If your son's got to go down for it, your son's got to go down for it. I would have said, this guy's bad. Whack him. You know, like he's something, something's up with this guy. Well, a lot, if you go back and you look at a lot of these guys, Sammy the Bulgovano, let's take him. Okay, if he kills all his friends to steal their businesses, why would he have a major problem with taking a stand and putting exactly. his friends in jail? Exactly. It's easier. But he also caught, he would, he would make excuses for stuff and say, no, that guy was a rat. Right. You know, stuff. right. And, so, and then you'd be like, oh, well, I guess he was. Right, right, right. Oh, I wonder why he has that huge business. Or now. he talked bad about, yeah. he, he'd go to John and he'd manipulate John. John, Malito, Louis Melito talked bad yeah. about you. He's, he's, he's talking sub subversively. And, and then they clip Louis Melito. John should have been more on top of that. John should have spotted it. John was a little too egotistical and might have had his head up his ass a little for, for certain things like that where he should have spotted things that, you know, a lot of times, mm. look, I was, I was around Pete Gotti's son who you saw in the picture. A lot of times people would be around him and kissing his ass and they'd say, I like that guy. But I saw the other side of the guy when you're not around. So I'd say, well, be careful. I see him when, you know, when, when he's at the bar and you're not around. He doesn't have somebody around him that has to, he has to impress or your father's not around. So what's interesting too is I was in the house by fate, I was in the house eating either pizza or Chinese food in the living room when Big Pete came home and said, uh, he had a long face. I said, what a long face? He says, my, my, oh, shit. I said, who died? He says, my brother, Sammy went bad. That was the first anyone ever heard that Sammy went bad. Pete was called by the lawyers when the lawyers found out. And then Pete had just left the lawyer's office Oof. and came home. And I saw like, he looked like he had the weight of the world on him. And well, you're I, done once that guy goes bad. Yeah, done. And I remember saying to the kid, I said, bullshit. I said, he ain't going bad, Sammy. It's, it's one of those uh, things from The Godfather when he takes a stand, then he throws the case or whatever. He's going to help John. It was beyond my thinking because I could never rat. I could not imagine anyone else being a, a low, yellow-bellied, cowardly little rat that wants to just like save himself mm -hmm. and throw everybody under the bus just to save his own ass. And not just John. He, he convicted 30, 40 guys, oh, yeah. Sammy. You know, guys, he said, oh, they're my friends, but I got... And then he tried to say, well, I played chess with John and I won. You didn't play chess with John. You played chess with John and 30 other guys that didn't have a say in the game. 
that all lost because of you. So, you know, he's whatever. We know. It's all out there now. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other thing is here, Sammy's also the prototypical prime example of the guys who ratted and now monetize that and go yeah. out and talk about it. And yeah. look, I have mixed feelings on this stuff. You obviously, through your own experience, have your opinions on anybody ratting because you didn't do it yourself and, mm-hmm. like, you were able to leave the life and go about your own way afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think that's commendable. But, like, r- real quick, did you – you didn't have a wife and kids when you went away, right? <clears throat> I did not. Okay. I had no wife and kids, which made it, which made it a lot easier. That's what I'm saying. I think, I, I think yeah. there is mm-hmm. – and I'm not, you know, I'm not getting involved in, in the world you came from and everything and, and making my opinion mean much. From as a layman from the outside, I think there is a calculation that goes in there. If someone's facing 30, 40 years, they got three kids at home or something like that, and they know anyone else will turn on them, they do. But Sammy the Bull, like what, what do you think of when, when you see maybe him specifically go out and talk on all these documentaries, all these podcasts and go through yeah. all the stories? Uh Obviously, I hate him. Uh, so, I mean, that's first and foremost, right? Let's put um, that on the record. Yeah, just put that on the record. Uh, I think it's despicable. I think he every single moment of his life he doubles down on the uh, on the on the disgraciad that he that he did when he ratted when he turned. I mean, here's a guy. Once again, if if he's innocent, you get caught for something. You're not involved in the life. You didn't take an oath. You don't know nobody. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you, you do what you, every other citizen should do. You tell what you know and you move on with your life. I get it. I get that. But if you're involved, if you if you if you're committing crimes with people, and here's a guy who killed all those people, and he stole millions and millions and millions of dollars, and now he's caught. He just doesn't want to pay for it. And that's that's basically what it came down to. It was nothing else. It wasn't, well, my John said this on the tapes. You were fine. You were carrying the umbrella over John's head. You were fine with John. You had no problem with John. You knew what John was about. Everyone knew what John. We all knew what John was about back then. John walked in a room. He had his head barely get through the door. He had such an ego. Mm-hmm. You only realize that after you got pinched. So come on. You know, it's just a lie after lie. I remember uh, Joe Watts. Joe Watts was going to, uh, he had bought a house down in Siesta Key on the west coast of Florida. And it was his dream house. And I remember he said to me, I said, I, said, uh, I was talking about, about talking to Joe about the house. And he says, Sammy the Bull took that house away from me. Obviously in his freedom eventually too. But I never, I never, forgot, I never forgot that. What does it have to do with Joe? What does it have to do with all the other people he put in jail? Ozzy, I mentioned Orazio Ozzy Stantini earlier. Uh, Bobby Cabert, he ratted on all these guys. And then he supposedly says, well, I played chess with John. I had a thing with John. I didn't like what John did. Okay, how about Frankie Lowe? Frankie Lowe hated John too, but Frankie Lowe didn't say I'm going to rat him out. You know, so he's just a worm. He's a worm of a person. I haven't looked at his case in a while, so refresh me on this. But was he, Mm -hmm. were there other people involved in that particular case that went down in 92 that he was then the witness and that he was concerned we're going to rat on him i know john wasn't that guy but he were was, there other uh, guys well basically what he claims and what makes sense is there was a lot of tapes that were in from the apartment above yep, the ravenite yeah yep. and on those tapes i john, call it the ravenite yeah Sorry. ravenite ravenite yeah. doesn't it's actually uh from what i understand it was named after a lot of people say edgar Allan poe 
uh, was a favorite of Carlo Gambino's favorite poem. I'm not sure if mm. that story's right. I heard, I heard Armand Delacroche. I'm sorry, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. right? Uh, Neil Delacroche. Yeah. I'm sorry, Armand was his son. On yeah, I, yeah, Armand was his son. I heard Neil Delacroche had a friend, uh, uh, Rava, who was killed by Carlo Gambino when when they took over the family. And when Rava was killed in the night, supposedly, this is what I understood it to be. Uh, Neil named it the Ravenite. Of, after Whoa. after Tommy Rava, his name was Armand Tommy Rava. Before my time, that's my This is what I was told. Right yeah, there. a friend of mine yeah. was Neil Delacroche's nephew. I was with him on Staten Island recently, so you know, I mean, this comes from good sources. Of course, he was too. on Staten Island. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyway, he's like, you know, he's like the, the you know, he's like the the the. the, the the shit underneath your feet, Sammy. Mm. You know, that's how low he is to me. You know, and, and now, you know, to monetize it, what else is he going to do? How's he going to make a living? He's got to. So, you know, look, I'm trying to make a living from my past life. If he is, okay, it makes sense too. But I left with, uh, you know, with honor. I bump into right. guys that know me my whole life. I face life. Nobody has a problem with me. So I said, look, if I got to die in this place, I told them when I was in there, I approached the bosses, the underbosses, everybody while I was in there. I said, if I got to die in this place, so be it. I'll die. I'll leave you in a pine box. I got no problem. But if Did I, you really think that? I did. I faced life. Yeah. Let me tell you, not only if you face life, but I landed in Lewisburg Penitentiary. And you could die any day you're in jail. I was in the maximum security prisons. I'm not in a low security where they're playing. They're oh, teaching yeah, you. It's Lewis yeah, Bird, no. yeah, exactly. And they're teaching you instruments. And we're going to learn the piano today. I'm not in those places. <laughs> those aren't the places I was in. I w I'll tell you my first trip to Lewisburg. Ready? I get designated. They designate me. I got three violent felony convictions in the end. Oh, so I didn't tell. I didn't finish the story earlier. They were off in 20 years. Eventually, the rat went bad. Uh, the guy violated the program. The snitch on us. He violated the witness protection program. We didn't know that. So the government came down and they said, if I take 13 years, then my co-defendants could get 10, 9, 8, 7 down the line. I had eight co-defendants. So they said, Louis, take it, please. Let's, let's get out of here. I says, I'll take the 13. So I took 13 years on a plea and my co-defendants all got less time than me. And then that's how I ended up getting out of the life sentence. We didn't know until I appealed my case years later. I had six and a mm -hmm. half years in before I won an appeal on one of my cases and that's when I learned that the guy who had violated the witness protection program was thrown out. They never had a rat against us. Wow. So we didn't have to take nothing. And they have to but, tell you that, right? No, not necessarily. They if don't. you're pre-trial until that until that guy's got to get on the stand, they're not going to disclose that. So Well, you, maybe not who he is, but they have to say they have like that witness. he violated the program and we threw him out? No way. You know, then they know that we're going to go, then we ain't taking the plea. Shows you I ain't a lawyer. Yeah, there no, no, go. no. But you know, and if they do, they're not gonna. Put it this way, the prosecutors. You know, I've heard prosecutors say, oh, that paper, I dropped it behind my desk. I don't know where that is. <laughs> you know, they got they want to convict people too. So they know how to play dirty too. But yeah, anyway. That's true. Um, so when I get to 13, I go on my way. So they designate me as violent for, for the things that obviously the crimes I committed and et cetera. And the day that the bus comes, I'm going, they designate me to Lewisburg. So my, all my co-defendants went to better places than I did. I went to Lewisburg and I get on the bus. I'm a little guy, not that tall. And I, I had needed glasses when I was on the street, eyeglasses. I started having trouble seeing at night when I was driving. So I was too vain to get glasses. I'm not going to wear glasses. I'd rather, you know, bump into a construction cone now and then and run one over than get glasses. So I'm driving. Now I'm in jail. I go, I, I need glasses. I got to see if somebody's coming at me in the yard. You know, I need glasses. 
So I get, I take an eye test, I get glasses, my friends send me glasses in, I'm wearing glasses. So now it's the first time I'm leaving MDC, Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to be on a bus, and I'm going to go all the way up to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And you went to school up there, did you? I did. I, yeah. I landed in Lewisburg, too. It was yeah, just a little uh, different. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little bit different college, right? <laughs> different education, different curriculum. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Might have been so, a little interrelated. You never know. It could have been. You never know, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so I'm on my way up, and I'm on the bus, and they put me on. They picked up everybody at MDC first. I'm the only guy getting on. And there's a few guys as we go up to making our way up. The bus is picking up people along the way. MCC, we picked up people, picked up a couple people from state holdovers or whatever. You know, the states used to, Nassau County used to take overflow from the feds. And now we've finally got a full bus, and we're heading up to Pennsylvania. So I got my glasses on. I'm taking in, you know, the-, the, the Stay close to the mic, by the way. Yeah, Sorry. I got my glasses on. I'm taking in- the scenery. And uh, for the first time, I've seen the outside. I've been stuck inside this holdover, Metropolitan Detention Center, for three years while me and my co-defendants were fighting our cases. So it's the first time I've been out. I had literally like skin peeling off my cheeks from the fluorescent lighting. I haven't seen the outside. So mm. now I'm like, I'm in awe of the outside and we're going on the expressway and stuff. So all these guys are talking and all these guys that got on the bus covered in tattoos. Like you saw my my show for Discovery Channel when I did his Alco Prison in uh, El Salvador. These guys are oh, ta- yeah, tattooed yeah, yeah. head to toe. Yeah. So these guys that are tattooed head to toe were getting on the on the prison bus and they were all big, muscular guys, you know? And, you know, I was kind of buff myself, but I'm in this like oversized jumpsuit. You can't tell. You know, if I had any 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 muscle to me, you, you weren't going to see it. And it's like, they don't make a, you know, size super small for me. <laughs> so so I'm like, okay. So I got this oversized thing cuffed up like 15 times. The, cu- the cuffs on the pants have cuffed up 25 mm-hmm. times. You know, and and I got the glasses on. I'm the least threatening guy on the bus. All these other guys, whether they're tattooed head to toe, gold teeth, the teardrops because they killed a friend, Mm -hmm. tattoos on the knuckles, et cetera, scars. They're going, yeah, I'm going to Lewisburg. I'm going to kill somebody as soon as I get there. Yo, that's gladiator school. This is what I'm hearing on the way up. Yo, yo, it's, yo, I don't know how many bodies they got out of Lewisburg the last few years. They've been, they've been piling up bodies there. Like, I'm going, shit, where am I going? Where'd they send me, right? So we finally get all the way up to Lewisburg, and they're talking about this place like it's, you know, we're going to Dante's, you know, the ninth or 10th circle, whatever. I think it's nine. It's 10th, maybe the 10th or the 11th or the 20th circle of Dante's Inferno. Beyond what Dante mm-hmm. could think about, his circle of hell. So I finally get up there. These big steel doors open, bus pulls in, and these guys come out with just mirrored sunglasses, like right out of like the Cool Hand Luke, Luke, Luke movies, you know, shotgun on the shoulder, sunglasses, tinted sunglasses, mirror sunglasses rather. And that guy gets on the bus, and he's got a clipboard, and he goes, uh, goes everybody on this bus will be going into Lewisburg holdover uh, isolation unit. You're going to be staying in the hole for either a few days to a week, maybe two weeks, before you're transferred to low or medium security prisons. He goes, I got one for the max, one for the pen. Ferrante? Oh, it's a son of a bitch. They were all bullshitting. Oh, my God. They were all bullshitting. They knew they were going here, but just for a short stay. Mm-hmm. And they probably figured that that guy wasn't going to give them up, you know, like blow their cover. Mm-hmm. We'd all just get put in cells, and they would pretend they got released onto the compound. With, meanwhile, they're getting taken out at midnight, 2 in the morning, getting on a bus going here. I was the only one for Lewis Burks. This is, wow, shit. Okay. So don't. I already knew, don't judge a book by its cover. Right. I already knew that, but it's a reinforcement, right? So now I get in. 
they got to clear you now to let, before they release you onto the compound. They got to clear you, make sure there's not a threat on your life. Why? Because guys have been released onto the compound and been killed 30 seconds later. Because if they get word that you're going to get on, released onto the compound, you could either, let's say a rat is getting released onto the compound, somebody wants to kill him, or if you're not a rat, but your rat is there. And your rat knows he's got to kill you before you kill him. So sometimes the guy could be an honorable guy. He hits the compound. He gets killed in 30 seconds because his rat doesn't want to face him. So there's a million reasons people got beefs. You know, you stab the Latin king. The Latin king maybe wants to stab you for his friend. Whatever the case is, they got to clear you. Make sure there's no death threats on your life. So I'm waiting. They go Finally, I go in front of the administration, this board, whatever, this team meeting. And they go, you got any threats to your life? We pretty much checked you out. It looks good on our side. What do you, do you know? I said, I never ratted on nobody. They go, well, you got 12 seps on you in the system, just so you know. People who were afraid of me from the street got locked up. Maybe they ratted. Maybe they were just, I had a beef with them. I had 12 people who put themselves on separation from me. In that, in, in just No, that- no, not in Lewisburg. I'm oh, sorry. Okay. In the system, throughout okay. the system. Which is part of the reason why there were places I couldn't go in the end. I was going to say, how many no, fucking guys did you know. piss off? Well, a lot, I guess. <laughs> when they dropped me to a medium, in other words, it was very hard for me. To, I, all the places I wanted to go when they dropped me to a medium, when I left Lewisburg a year and a half later, I couldn't go there because I had SEPs there. People who put themselves on SEP from me said I'm scared of him for whatever reason. So, you know, wow. I, yeah, I said, I'm not a rat and I'm a, and I never put myself on set from nobody. So I was like, you know, baffled. That's the first time I learned that. But anyway, in Lewisburg, they, you know, they tell me, look, uh, you're, you're cleared for the compound. You got no seps here or whatever they tell me, uh, but you had seps in other places. And I learned where later, but, um, and I never learned who, but I learned where, and I can imagine who, a few of them, I didn't put all together, but so I, I get released onto the, oh, before I get released, they also said. We had the Colombo War in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So now I was very close friends and still am today with the arenas. So little Vic Arena Sr., who was the guy who challenged Carmine Persico mm-hmm. for, the, for the throne. Little Vic's doing life, man of, among men, a legend. And I talked to him a few months ago. I was with uh, little Vic Jr. And we, the father called from prison. He put me on the phone with Vic Sr. He goes, Louie. He was thrilled to talk to me. I love the arenas. Little Vic Jr., again, man among men. He left a life with honor. He beat a major racketeering trial, murder racketeering case, having to do with the Colombo War. He helped Billy Cotolo, Wild Bill Cotolo, who went missing, died. Uh, Me and Little Vic, actually, said to Billy Cotolo in jail, when Vic beat his trial, and Vic still had another murder rap that he was fighting, but me and Vic approached Billy and says, look, Billy, if you beat this, oh, no, I'm sorry, Billy went first. We told mm. Billy, though, if you beat this case, pack it in, it's over. You can't win. There's too many rats. There's too much treachery. And Billy swore he would. Billy didn't, and then he disappeared. He got killed. But that's yeah. besides the point. It's another story. But anyway, Little Vic. Little Vic did all the digging to dig up all the stuff that, all the misdeeds that the, the government was involved in with Gregory Scarpa. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was all. Little Vic, I got to tell you, mastermind. Tell people about Gregory Scarpa. Gregory Scarpa was, a, was an informant for 30 years, and he basically had a license to kill. He used to call himself 007. He used to tell people, I got a license to kill. Because as, a, as an FBI informant, the FBI, unfortunately, his handler, not the FBI as an organization, but his handler. Was that Lynn Vecchio? Lynn Vecchio yeah, uh, yeah. supposedly, allegedly overlooked a lot of things that Greg was doing. And Greg was out there and killing people. And there's also allegations against DeVecchio for feeding Greg the addresses during the war. Of yeah, the he went to trial for that. He was found not guilty. That's right. But yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. DeVecchio the case was a part yeah. 
of that legendary squad of like yeah. you know mm-hmm. Giuliani at the top of that's it correct. with mm-hmm. with Bonavolanta. That's mm-hmm. where Joe Pistone was a part of that squad right. when he was Donnie Brasco. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was who was the other guy? Jim uh, Calstrom, Bruce Mal, Kenny yep, McCabe. Yep, 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 yep. yep. A lot of All really that. famous agents that made their bones on on these big cases back then. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so you know, hey, uh, so Vic, little Vic, who was an absolute genius, by the way, could have did anything with his life. Uh, he said, if I beat this case, this murder racketeering case, and get and I'm and I'm fortunate enough to get a plea, cop to another murder. If I could get out of here, I want to leave with my honor. I'm never going to rat on anybody. His father took life, and he did just that. Vic, I'm still friends with Vic today because of that, because he mm. left like I did. I said, he said good the for same. Him. Yeah, good for him is right. Man's man. So he uh, does. He's not in the life anymore. Not in the life. And Vic's a legitimate tough guy. I mean, Vic's a little guy like me, but he's like a Jake LaMotta. Vic. Vic was always into boxing mm. when he was young. I watched one time. There's a guy. He ended up becoming a rat, but he got smart with Vic. I said, Vic. Vic, come in. Bang. Knocked him out. <laughs> and I said, oh, shit. So, you know, he put him out. The guy was snoring on the floor. Yeah. So, you know, Vic was a tough guy, a legitimate tough guy. But anyway, um, so uh, I'm in Lewisburg. They asked me if I know anybody involved in the Colombo War. I says, I'm fine with the Persicos and the Arenas. I didn't get into my relationship with the Arenas. So, look, I'm fine with everybody. I says, I get along. And that's the truth. I did get along with both. I had nothing to do with it. And Persicos... He's long in prison at this point now, right? Oh, Carmine died. Alley Boy's still away. Alley Boy's the son. Alley Boy got life too. Alley Boy, Persico. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but yeah. in the time period we're talking, Carmine's still alive. Carmine That's just correct. died recently. He was alive. That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But That's he right. was already locked away down. In, uh, That's right. Uh, Lompoc or uh, he was one of down those. with Madoff. Wherever That's the fuck correct. that one was. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He, yeah, put, yeah. he put he put the bull on Madoff too. I think from what I heard. He put the what? He put the bull on Madoff. Like you know, he grabbed him. He took him in. Like you know. Oh yeah, him, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he they said, were friends. Yeah, friends, but you know, friends with benefits. Like he grabbed Madoff and says, like you know, he was looking. His, the mob works in funny ways. If if Persico wants to. Sorry, def- did you just yeah. say what I think you said? What's that? No, put the bull said, on him. Like not 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 a. Uh, in other words, muscle muscled him. Like fucking them? No, 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 no way. Why'd no, you no. say friends with benefits? Friends with benefits. Yeah, I hear friends money. with benefits. Meaning, I'm thinking. No, no, no. What money? Money. In other, <laughs> in other words, benefits. In other words, if he's Madoff's got supposedly had multi millions. <laughs> yeah, no. Supposedly, no. I think they no. dried his call ass my pers- up. Call my Persico was uh, a heterosexual through and through. He was getting a okay. blowjob from one of the attorneys. He got caught in the visiting room. <laughs> yeah. He did. He got caught on camera getting a blowjob from one of his attorneys. No, he was a total heterosexual. Isn't that, isn't that attorney client privilege? Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I guess for the retainers, he was given the expected more in return. But um, yeah, yeah, so. About a blowjob. Yeah, exactly. So he, Persico was, <laughs> oh, Persico was legitimate. Awesome. You know, man's man. I don't take anything away from him. Uh, but. Um, I was just saying, if he if they move in on a guy like Madoff and they go, come here, we'll take care of you, we'll look out for you. I understand. There's that. a reason for it. There's yeah. benefits that they're expecting in return. That's I don't mean sexual. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah right. We got that but, cleared up. Yeah, that would have yeah. been kind of funny. Yeah, would have been kind of funny. Yeah. Now, nah, well, look, who knows who does what? I don't know. I never saw it in jail, like with my own kind. But you don't know who sneaks off and does something. You don't know. But yeah, yeah, who the frig knows, right? But anyway. Uh, I know. I'm a, look. I came home. My ass was as tight as a tie. <laughs> I never. I have gay friends, and I'm fine with gays. My, my my first book deal is from Bill Yosis. 
He's homosexual. He's one of the nicest men I've ever met. I consider him my dear friend. He's the reason why I got my first book deal. Nothing against gays. I'm not gay. I never had a gay thought in right. my life. Right. So, you know, guys, there are guys that go in there and they sort of like, you know, I had a friend of mine in the state who says, I found out he was fooling around with somebody. And I says, what are you doing? He goes, I got 25 years in. I says, I don't care if I had 2,500 in. That's got to be in you. Yeah. It's in you or it's not. So, mm. I, you know, I don't know. But whatever. I don't judge anybody. But like I said, I'm fine. You know, I have a cousin who's gay. I have a nephew who, who's gay. I have no problem with We got with it. Days. We yeah. got it. I got you. I so, believe you. P.S. Uh, they released me onto the compound. I'm, on, I'm in Lewisburg now. I get onto the compound and uh, I go to the yard. I got greeted by a few Italians and Jimmy Coonan, the boss of the Westies. Yes. Jimmy Coonan says, Louie, we're waiting for you. Come on. I'll show you around. And I got to tell you, I got tight with Jimmy. Jimmy was a man's man too. In that world. When I say was that, he in I there mean for life? World. Jimmy got life. Yeah. Jimmy, he told me one day, though, he goes, I'll get out of here. I go, how are you going to get out of here? He goes, oh, it's not Through the fence. Yeah, he goes, I've been in and out of jail my whole life. I always get out. Okay. I have no idea. Whatever delusion keeps you going, man. Exactly. So I actually had a friend, Renee Tellier, who was a crash and carry guy. He gave back four life sentences recently. He got out. So yeah, there are people who get out. Anthony Sento, one of the murder machine guys. Roy DeMeo's guys. He, yeah, yeah, He's yeah. getting out. So there's people, I guess. He's getting things out. Things are changing. Believe it or not, Anthony Sento. Yeah, from what I heard. Yeah, okay. I never knew him. I don't know him. Never met him. Yeah, the mayo Before my time. Yeah, but uh, this is what I heard recently. So anyway, uh, I get onto the compound. Jimmy brings me around. He introduces me to the uh, head of the Latin Kings, head of the Nietzsche's, head of the Crips, head of the Bloods, and he's introducing me to the heads of all the different gangs. And while I'm meeting them, I'm moving my way through the yard, and he eventually introduces me to the head of the Aryan Brotherhood. And it's a big Nordic-looking guy, tattoos head to toe. You know, and you know, he's got the, the, the lightning bolts, which is the SS things. Uh, I'm sure it's swastikas. I don't remember exactly, but he's got the whole thing. And he's head of the Aryan Brotherhood. So everything that goes along with it, you know his ideology. Oh, we yeah. all do. Okay. Eventually, he starts to get dark in the yard. Now, he's talking to me, the Aryan Brotherhood guy, when, I, when Jimmy introduced me to him, as calm as I'm talking to you now. Not an ounce of anything in his stature that would alert you to that something he's planning very shortly. Mm. Like usually if I'm planning a heist, not that I'm jumpy, yeah, but, you know, you probably know I'm ready to do something. Yeah. You know, you start to get that, you know, you're ready to do you're something. Tight. yeah. Yeah, you, you're starting to get wound, right? Nothing like that. They call, they said, look, clear the yard. It started to get dark in the yard. As soon as it gets dark in the yard, the guys in the gun towers tell you, clear the yard. So we start walking in. I just get back to my block. I said goodnight to everybody. See you tomorrow. I get back to my block and the alarms are going off. <laughs> and the prison becomes a loony house, a loony bin, a nut house. Mm. Everybody's screaming and yelling, running everywhere. What the F is going on? So this, this hack uh, comes by me and he's got a pen, like a piece of leather that's tied to a machete. And it's dripping blood. And he runs by my thing. He must have, he had recovered a knife from somewhere. So what happened was, that guy that I was talking to in the yard went in to his tier block. I think it was A block. And he stripped down to his boxer shorts and handed out machetes. And they said they had a hit list of black Muslims. Apparently, the Aryan mm. Brotherhood was warring with the black Muslims. And they you don't went, say. They went to the first one, hacked them to death, gutted them. Oh. Went to the second one, and they hacked them to death, gutted them. They're on their way to the third. They say gutted them. Apparently, they took, you know, they, they, took the machete and they, you know, they were, they were stirring a, you know, a pot of soup, you know, in the stomach, you know? So they go to the, the next guy 
And they showed me pictures of these guys dead the next day. And they look bad. So they go to <laughs> They look bad. They didn't look good. They didn't look like some they didn't look like a mortician prepared them for the wake. They did not look good. So uh and they asked me and they asked me, Do you know these guys? How, how would I know? I just landed here. I just but, got here yesterday, yeah. fellas. Thank so you. and they ended up and they, they had a hit list of six guys, but the, the cop pulled the pin. They called it the, the deuces, hit the deuces, or they pulled the pin. It's like the panic button. They wear a body alarm. And they hit it and ran. And then the the Aryans just started stabbing every African-American that they could get their hands oh on. Oh, my God. Because they went off script then. They couldn't get the rest of the hit list. How on. many people are on are on are in this section of the prison? Oh, uh, every block's got a couple hundred guys, maybe buck twenty or something. You know, every every okay. every housing block. So maybe there's a thousand, twelve hundred in the whole prison, ten blocks, I guess a hundred in each one. Right. Give or take. I never sat there and did a head count, but but that was my first day in population. My very first day in general population. Baptism was, of fire, baby. Baptism of fire, yeah. So I figured I go, it don't get worse than this. Better it happen now. You know? And then I would call home. My father was still alive. I lost my mother. My father was still alive, and he'd go, how is it in there? Now, my first phone call, right? Oh, I don't know, Dad. Yeah, yeah. My first phone call, they strip us naked. The goon squad comes in. This is this was interesting. The goon squad. We're locked in. They call the goon squad like the guys who were dressed like oh, big with goons. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole, they look like, you know, when they wear the dog uniforms yeah, to yeah, train yeah. the German they Shepherd. The, they got the, the full whole thing. mask on, all that. Well, yeah. these guys came in with machine guns, which obviously didn't shoot bullets because we're in a prison, but they rubber must have bullets. shot rubber bullets yeah. probably. Uh, maybe bean bags, probably rubber bullets. I didn't stare at the guns, but they came in, they filed it to the tier block, and they said, Look, the prison's on lockdown. You've been listening to the helicopters above. We have maximum authority from Washington to use maximum force. We have authority, rather, from Washington to use maximum force. Does anybody know what that means? Who's, who's going to? Oh, yeah, I know what it, nobody <laughs> answers, right? And he goes, That means we can kill any one of you and get away with it. Do you understand? None of us say anything. And and he goes, okay, he goes, we're going to eventually give you guys phone calls and hopefully we get this place back running at some point. And they, they backpedal out of the place, you know? So that was like, they're letting us know, you guys go off in here, yeah. you're all dying. Yep. So then they take me, eventually take me to the phone. They strip me down to my underwear, I guess to make you vulnerable. You're probably less inclined to fight if you're naked. So they strip me down to my underwear. They take me, they got a baton in the back of my head. They tell me to dial. I got one phone call. I call my father. How is it in there? How is it in there, Lewis? I said, that's great. You know how the club club fed thing they talk about, right? The, you heard that. That's what it's like. That's beautiful in here. No problems? None at all, dad. <laughs> none at all. I don't want to put his mind disease, right? Yeah. No problem. None at all, dad. He says, you sure? You wouldn't lie to me, right? Never, Dad. It's beautiful in here. I met all my old friends. I says, I haven't seen in years. I says, everything's great, Dad. It's a fucking reunion. Yeah. He goes, all right, let me know when I could come up and visit you. Okay, Dad, I love you. Okay, good night, Lewis. I love you, Dad. Good night. I said, wow, this is where I'm going to be, though. 13 well, years. Yeah, 13 years. So eventually I I reversed one. I got out of Lewisburg after like a year, year and a, year and a half. Where'd they send you? They dropped my security. That's when I found out concrete because the first time they told me you got seps, I was like, oh, seps. That's when they told me people put themselves, they explained it to me. You can't go to this prison. You can't go to that. Why can't I go to Fairton? Why can't I gotta go to Dick's? Why can't I go? People put themselves you on You get septum. to play like fantasy lottery for fantasy draft prison? They ask you where you want to go and then they put you where they want anyway. Yeah. And that's exactly what they did. So they shoved me in Otisville. Oh, you went to Otisville. Otisville, which turned out to be the best place I could have went. It was like, that was like club fed. Yeah. That was a sweet, it was like. That's where Louisa was teaching oh, the, uh, was the gymnastic classes and really? stuff. 
Yeah. You know this film, I'm pretty really? sure. Yeah, yeah. Could have been. That yeah. they had stuff like that there. Yeah. 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 He was teaching all that. Yeah, you could take a computer class. You could take <laughs> the guy's smoking, the guy's the guy's smoking pot. I go, how the fuck is he smoking? He's got it on the visit. They go, no, he's growing it. I go, what? They go, yeah, he's the landscaper. He's an inmate who's the landscaper. He grows pot behind the, the, those big oh, bushes. That's awesome. I go, you gotta be kidding me. So I was oh. that was the first time, like I was in a nice place. And I kicked back and I met some good dudes there. I got to tell you, shout out to my buddy Marcos Pappas. Unfortunately, he's back in jail. Marcos had 35 years. He got out after like 26 or something. He went back. I love him. I don't know what happened. I'm trying to get a- <laughs> I don't know what happened. I love him with all my heart. He was a good friend of mine. He, he taught me the law and he taught me he was an illegal eagle. And he taught me how, and he helped me reverse one of my cases from the feds. How did he do that? Well, there was a technicality that- Okay, my lawyer, after after I I pled out, the lawyer filed, I think he filed what they call an Anders brief. I can't remember the first brief he filed, waiving my appeal. And then by the grace of God, a, a crazy thing happened. The appellate court sent it back to the lawyer and said, you should, you should uh, review this. So now I figure, okay, if my lawyer is such an imbecile that he didn't file appeal and didn't spot something that the appellate court's telling him to look for— I better look on my own. So I, I end up with this guy, you know, this guy, uh, uh, Marco, selling with him. And he says, look, we could figure it out ourselves. He says, forget the lawyer. We'll do pro se. And then he teaches me the law, how to read law, how to study case law. And I became like a legal genius myself. And eventually, wow. besides getting myself out, because I knocked out that FBI case, the heist case, on a technicality, not to the FBI's discredit, but to the prosecutor and the judge, they accepted a plea where there was issues with the plea. They were supposed to ask me certain things. They did not ask me. Oh, they were in shit. a rush to get me in and out of the courtroom. I kind of like, I kind of threw them off because when I went in there. Ain't that amazing? Someone amazing. Can, can have a quick Incredible. lunch and need to get somewhere and they Incredible. fuck up someone on years of their life. I think God was with me because by then I had changed my whole life around. I was reading 18 hours a day. And maybe I was ready to go home. Mm. I feel like there's a higher power at work here. Like, cause when I needed to go to jail, nothing could keep me from there. Did you have any, did you have any inclination to go back to your old life? No, not once I changed my mind. Um, once I shifted my mind and I was educating myself, I was reading books about history. Was uh, that more over time or was there a one moment light bulb moment after a while where you're like, great, oh shit, I don't need this. Great, 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 great question. Cause it's both. And one was, one was it started to, my mind started to see things differently because I told you I had mentioned earlier I'm going, oh, shit, a lot of these guys did not have to die. That bothered me to hear that maybe someone was whacked and didn't have to be whacked. I understood. If you got to go, you got to go. I'm with that. I'm all right with that. But not if I don't like you or I want your money or I want your wife or I want your girlfriend and now you got to go. I don't, I'm not with that. I'm, I didn't sign up for that. So I was starting to feel like this is like a lot of crap here that I didn't sign up for. So my mind is already turning. Then what happened, one? one day was, this is that, that's the gradual, like you said. And then the, the pivotal moment, which you asked me, which one is it? I'll tell you now, the pivotal one. The pivotal moment was, we come back from these visits and there was this SOB God who used to make us wait to go down on the visits. He didn't call us as fast mm -hmm. as he should. And you got your family waiting downstairs to see you. They're waiting on lines for two hours. They finally get in and you got, instead of a two-hour visit, maybe you got a half hour left because this jerk didn't let you go down right. on time. So everybody's living. We come back from the visit, and I'm living with all these old-timers, and it was a dorm at the time, in holdover, pre-trial. And I'm in a dorm, and I'm living in the first row with these old-timers, and there was an old Sicilian gangster. He was straightened out. I'm not going to tell you his name, but he was straightened out in, the, in Sicily, 
And he was straightened out in America. Oh, shit. Yeah, exactly. And I asked him one time, I will tell you, I says, who are you loyal to? He goes, oh, I'm here, I'm with them, or when I'm over there, I'm with them. <laughs> so I go, so I go, what am it for them and them? I had a beef, and he, he didn't want to talk to me about it. You know, you'll never worry about it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, let's make it a sauce. Yeah. We used to make oh sauce with V8, V8, most delicious sauce I ever oh. had. A Sicilian can make a sauce with a V8. A with a V, come on. My That's, mother, you you my mother would, my, my mother would have spit on the floor. She would yeah. have told me I'm lying. I'm telling you right now, by the time they got the crushed tomatoes, it no. was just the base. No. You'll never cap. believe it. That's cap. Sorry. I, <laughs> I'm swearing to you, and I grew up on sauce every Sunday. Yeah. I, you, make, you make a sauce with V8 in it, and I'm kicking you the fuck out of here. It's, Sorry. You never know. I can't believe Yeah, I would know. I, I, <laughs> I'm convinced I would know. So maybe I, maybe I was delusional in jail. Yeah, my grandma, if yeah. she listens, and she listens sometimes, she probably <laughs> definitely listens to this one because it's about the mob. She's kind of well, a heart attack here well, that. Well, we, had a, we would have a bushel of crushed tomatoes that we, you know, they, they used, but they would it's hard to explain, but and we had garlic straight from the kitchen. Eventually, we bought the whole place. I was gonna say, like, at let what me, point is it I, like I'm good go back. Let me go back to the guard. <laughs> okay. That we were, I, no, 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 no. But I'll rewind for yeah, a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We. No, start, you can go back to the garden and come back to this. It's okay, fine. then we'll tell you how yeah, we yeah, bribed yeah. the guards. So the guy throws an apple. The guy throws an apple at the guard. He goes, "Are you punk?" It's just, uh, you know in, in English, but with a Sicilian accent, and he bings, he slams off the guy's head, breaks in a million pieces. The guy turns around. And he sees all guys that are 60, 65, and he sees a kid, me. So when the goon squad comes up, he points to, he calls the goon squad. They co- he comes up and they point to, he points to me. He figures I'm the guy who threw it. Mm. Why would the old men do it? A kid did it, right? <laughs> so like, they t- what the fuck? Yeah, they take me to the hole. You know, they rough me up all the way to the hole. Now I'm in the hole. They give me no clothes. I'm naked in the hole. They finally give me a jumpsuit. No pillow. No, no mattress. I'm laying on a steel bunk, ice cold. And oh, before I got my jumpsuit, I had to go to bed naked before I got a jumpsuit. And I, I remember putting my hands over my, my picture deal, figuring, you know, it's like it's an instinct, you know. Yeah, I'm yeah. sleeping here. People are looking in the window with the guards that they make right. their rounds. So eventually I got my jumpsuit and then I still had no mattress, no pillow. And the, and the lieutenant would come over and they must not, he must not have said it was me. He must have figured it must be him because they kept asking me, did you throw the apple? If they knew it was me and the guy said it was me, they would have had me, right? Even though I didn't do it. He would have, his word would have been enough. So he must not have said it because the lieutenant would come by and he'd go, did you throw the apple? I'd say, no, I didn't throw the apple. Well, who threw it? I have no fucking idea. Go find it. Go, 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 go do your homework, Sherlock. <laughs> you know? So now, and he would talk to me through the reinforced glass. So now he says one day, he goes, no food for Ferrante. He goes, no food for Ferrante. No food. Um, Is that legal? Up. Probably not. Yeah, it's not like Probably that. not. You know, what, what are we going to do? File a brief on toilet paper? <laughs> so, you know, what are you going to do? So I'm like, okay, okay. So he goes, uh, no food. So now I'm starving. You miss one meal in jail. You're hungry because the meals suck to begin with. You finally are acclimated. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm having V8 sauce, mm-hmm. right? So I acclimated, right? So now I go, okay. There was a Spanish guy who would come out of his cell. He was in the hole with us, but he'd come out of his cell, sweep the whole corridor, and he would collect the trays if you did eat. So I go, amigo, amigo, I'm yelling through the crack in the door. Uno momento, uno momento. Venica, venica, Italian, I don't know, yeah. Spanish. Venica, man. He gets it. I said, I'm starving. Give me something. So he goes like this, and he brings me bread, puts it under the door, dirty. You know, it's a slight thing. 
half half the side's all dusty. The other touch touched the door. I ate it. Then he gives me jellies. I suck them dry. So I says, I'm eating now. Fuck that lieutenant. Excuse my language. I think I cursed already in here. Yeah, but, you're doing fine. All right. So he comes around the guard the next day. So now I know I could eat. I got my amigo over here. He's going to feed me. So he goes, hey, you hungry? He says, who threw the apple? So now it's through the, he opened the food slot. So it's through the food slot I'm talking to him. He goes, you want your tray, huh? You hungry? I says, I didn't know who threw the apple. And another thing, and I reached through the thing. I grabbed his tie and I yanked it. I thought I was going to choke him. I was, you know, I was going to fix his ass, right? And it's a clip-on. Oh, no. It was a clip-on. <laughs> I just wanted to bang his head against the door. So I end up throwing the tie back at him. And I said, it's a clip-on, <sighs> you son of a bitch. <sighs> he looks up at the glass now. And he goes, he goes, you think we'd wear, he grabs his collar. You think we'd wear real ties with you animals in here? He says, really? Look at yourself. He says, you're an animal in an effing cage. And he walks away. And I said, son of a bitch. I guess I'm not being charged with assault. By the way, I thought I was going to be charged with the apple, so I didn't care if I grabbed him by the tie. Mm -hmm. You're going to charge me. Let me do something. Right. Right? So now, that was the first time that animal statement. And I said to myself, I'm in a cage. And as if this big cage isn't enough, I'm put in a smaller cage. I'm in a cell within a cell, within a, within a prison because of behavior. Whether I did it or not, I've done other things. I'm an animal. Whether I did this particular thing or not, which I didn't, mm -hmm. but I'm an animal. I'm in a cage within a cage. And my mother didn't raise me that way. I told you, I used to kneel next mm. to the bed. I used to pray at night with my sister. My mother taught me there was a God. My mother begged me to do things right. This is her memory that I'm honoring. As mean and mad as I was when she died, she had been gone now a while. And I'm still, I'm living like this. And somewhere I believe that maybe her soul exists still. And this is what I'm doing. So I said, if I get out of here, I'm done. I'm done. I had nothing but time. How long had you been in there? I ended up being in the hole a while. They probably let me rot like a month yeah, or something. Yeah, but how long had you been oh, in prison? Oh, I was probably in jail a couple of years already, I guess. So maybe a year or two, like that, give or take, like that. It was probably towards, it wasn't the full three years in the holdover yet. You know, it was like, because I remember I, I had started to change while I was in the holdover because I came out. And I remember one of the guys, come on, I need my pinochle partner. I said, I'm done with pinochle. Come on, come play spades. I'm done with spades. And then I called my friend Fat George, mm. who I mentioned. I says, hey, I called Fat George and I said, do me a favor, send me books. He goes, what do you want, big boobs, fat asses? <laughs> I go, no. I go, send me books I could read. And, and he eventually sent me books. Wow. And I started to read and I started to educate myself. And, and slowly but surely... I became a bookworm. And then the time I got the plea, I went away. So I went through Lewisburg. I wrote a novel while I was in jail about the antebellum South. So I'm living through a race war. You wrote a, a novel, novel about the antebellum South. South. Believe it or not. And I got a, I promise you, look, I'm an, I'm an international best-selling author. If I tell you I wrote yeah. this book. No, I, I believe you. It's a good book. That's just wild that that's yeah. what you chose to write yeah. about, yeah. about first. Yeah, wild. So I'm in a race war where blacks and whites hate each other. <laughs> I wasn't raised to hate people for the color of their skin we said things we said bad things when i was young we all called each other slang names for our own ethnicities blacks and whites did mm -hmm. italians irish spanish we all did but we weren't really hate we never hated each other i grew up with everybody i grew up between the colden projects and the palmanach projects weren't far from me my house was sort of in the middle so you had blacks around i grew up with irish polish 
Italian, Spanish, everybody's around. I dated every girl you could think of, Indian, Asian. <laughs> I dated, so and every girl I brought home, my parents didn't have a problem with. So it was like totally like, well, I'm not born racist. I'm not taught to be racist, but I do use the slang stuff. I got it. You know, that's like, that's a little bit of a different element when you're on the street. It's New York. Is John Gotti going to go, go tell those African-Americans they owe us money? <laughs> And then, and then go by, uh, yeah. And then go straighten out that Asian American, uh, Asian American, right? Come on, right? Come on, right? Come on. You know, go I mean, straighten out those fine Asian American friends right. of ours. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been more like go tell that f and egg roll to come up with the money. <laughs> You know, and nothing, and look, and, and nothing against Asian Americans. I love them. I have friends who are Asian Americans. I've dated Asian Americans. I have no problem with that. But I mean, that's just the talk, right? So yeah. anyway, um, when did you uh, first start spending time around the Gotti's? Like, when did you first get introduced to Pete Gotti? So, uh, probably late eighties. You know, maybe maybe ninety, like that. Probably eighty nine, ninety. You hit it off with him right away. I got close with quite a few guys from that neighborhood and that that clique. So I was close with uh, actually uh, not only Pete's son, but also Joe Butch had a stepson. I was close with him, Joe Butch Correo. Mm -hmm. uh, Jackie knows Jackie knows D'Amico had a stepson. I was close with him. Um, Uncle Vinisaro, Vinisaro had a nephew, Ronnie. I was close with Ronnie. Uh, Where are you meeting all these guys? Is there like a networking event for mobsters? Well, I mean, it's like you, you got to think, right? Probably like you, you meet guys. You met so many people yeah. quickly, it seems like. Quickly. I mean, you, you know, you're making money and you, you know, I'm ambitious. Mm -hmm. I'm meeting people. I'm a good friend. Obviously, I proved to be a good friend because I went away and I never ratted on anybody. They begged me to rat. I had three cases. I never finished that. I had, an F I had a Secret Service case. I was arrested by the Secret Service. I go, I never threatened the president. What the hell is this thing? <laughs> it was, I, had not, I, I practically had nothing to do with the case, right? I, thought I this, used to think that too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So they go, no, it's credit card fraud. I go, I don't even do credit card fraud. What are you talking about? <sighs> Apparently somebody was committing credit card fraud. They were opening up businesses, running 50,000, 60,000 in credit cards through a business, then closing the business, draining the bank account, closing the business. It was a shell. And then they started screwing each other. So when they, one guy got screwed, he came to me and he mm. says, can you do me a favor and, and stick up for me? Back me, go get my money. I says, you tell him I told you to pay the money. Because I had, obviously, by then, I did what I did with people. I was right. known. Don't test me. So I says, pay the money. I'm paid the money. One thing led to another. Wise guys got involved. Somebody got shot. It wasn't me. So, you know... Understood. The case blew up, yeah, yeah, and the Secret Service pinched us on that. Then I had the FBI case, the heist and hijackings. Then I had a stick-up that I didn't do in the state. You want to talk about not being a rat? My co-defendant in the feds did the stick-up in the state, the, the state charge I was charged with. I'm charged with a stick-up in the state, a heist. It's a, it's a safe. We took a yeah, vault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a vault, picked up a vault, threw it in the back of a, a, a truck, and left. They charged me with it. I know it's my co-defendant in the feds. So you want to talk about Sammy, who's a rat, and goes, oh, he's got all millions of excuses why he ratted. I got every excuse in the world. I didn't even do this. Had nothing to do with it. And you took it. I took it. I go, look, what am I going to do? I did other things. <laughs> you know, what am I going to do? Say it's my code. Oh, no, hold on. It's my co-defendant in the feds you want, not me. That's mm. a rat. So I go, fine. I, I took, I took, uh, 
I think I got three to nine on that case running consecutive. I did another two years. I oh, did you got them consecutive? You didn't even oh, get concurrent. No, so they ran part of the state sentence concurrent, part was consecutive. So when I reversed, it should have been concurrent had I finished the Fed sentence. So I reversed the Fed sentence from prison, and then I got they sent me to the state. So when I get to the state, the prosecutor, I tell my lawyer, tell the prosecutor, you know, I go for parole. They hit me right away. I go, son of a bitch. I told a lawyer, I said, tell the prosecutor they got enough of me. They promised they would run the sentence concurrent. He goes, yeah, but you didn't finish the time in the Fed, so that's why it's still consecutive. It's not concurrent. It was so wait, how many thing. years did you do total? I did eight and a half total. But, but you did six and a half in the Fed? Six and a half in the Feds when I reversed my case from prison. So then you think you're getting let out one day, and then they're like, oh, hop on this bus. You're going to, state. On to state. You're going to state. You're like, what the fuck? Right. So now I'm shoved off to the state prison, which sucks. Which, which I'm prison? I'm in Clinton. I'm, I'm in the worst prison. Horrible. Horrible. Ugh. Eventually, I got sent from Clinton, though, to Raybrook. Not in Raybrook, which was uh, Adirondack. So Adirondack was a little better than Clinton, but well, still Clinton's. sucks. Clinton sucked. It was Clinton disgusting. correctional. Gross. I was in Clinton when Vinisaro was in Clinton. We were sending each other messages in the prison. But I was in How a different way. How would you wing. do that? Well, as soon as I got there, somebody goes, yo, there's an Italiano here named Finn. <laughs> so I go, yo, really? What's his, what's his phone name? Yeah, hold on. Okay. So I do me a favor, send him a kite. So I sent him a message. He sent me back a message. You know, we, it was the first time we had seen each other in years or not seen each other, but communicated. Wow. So he was in Clinton the same time I was. So then I got shoved over to Adirondack. What years is, where are we at now? Like 2000? Like 2000, give mm -hmm. or take. Yeah, like 2000. So now... Um, I'm, I'm, uh, where was I? Where was I going with this? Right before you were uh, talking about how your case went to went oh, consecutive. Oh, so I get hit at the board. So I tell them, look, I got, I go to the board, and they tell me I'm parole in there, board, the parole board for the state. As soon as I got there, I was eligible for parole because some of the time ran concurrent. So I'm eligible for parole. I go right to the parole board. They hit me. I, I just got here. What do you hit me on? I got six and a half years in, or seven by the time I went. So I go to the lawyer. Do me a favor. Tell the prosecutor they said they'd run it concurrent. Go straighten this out in court. So the lawyer, the, the last lawyer I had on record, although I did my own case pro se, the last lawyer I had on record. So he goes, fine. So he comes back to me. He goes, the prosecutor said, if you're willing to cooperate, he'll get you out right now. I said, tell him to go fuck himself. I says, if I wasn't going to cooperate when I had all the time ahead of me and I faced life, why would I cooperate when all they could do is give me another two years? Beat it. So, you know, so now I go back to the parole board in two more years. Now... The worst thing, first time I went to the parole board, I go, oh, I studied this. I learned that. I did this. I did that. And they go, you're hit. So now the second time I'm going, the worst they could do is hit me and max me out at six months. So they can't do nothing to me. So they go to the parole board. They go, what have you done with yourself? I not nothing. <laughs> do you want, what are you going to do when you got nothing? <laughs> I, you know, I was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, Fuck okay. Your mother. <laughs> yeah. Go shit in your hat. Go scratch. I got nothing to say to you anymore. Right? I don't care. Damn I make parole. <laughs> I make parole. What's that scene? What's that scene in Ted where he's like, he's yeah. like, you fucked a coworker on oh. the Frosted Flakes, and he's like, and I came on the uh, on yeah. the Apple Jacks right. too, and he's like, we need that. Yeah, You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. exactly, exactly. That's what it's like. Exactly. Oh Wild. So, so I make parole, and then. Uh, yeah, that was it, bro. That and this was is it. back in like 02, 01? Yeah, I got, like out, I got out in 03. So now I come wow. home in 03. I remember my last team meeting before I come home now. Is your dad still alive too? Thank up? God almighty. My yeah. father got to see. My father got to see my bestseller. Oh, my wow. My father got to see my bestseller. My father got to see my Discovery Channel series. He watched Very it on cool. TV. And they kept repeating it all over and over. So he'd see it all. He goes, you're on again. You're on again tonight. You're on again. So it was great. They were playing it a lot. So he got to see... 
you know, I was like, I told my father on a visit, I says, Dad, I'm going straight. I'm done. I won't do this to you again, I promise you. And he goes, please, don't break my heart, he says. He says, you, you would have killed your mother if she wasn't dead already. So, you know, like, wait on me. So he, I thank God, and thank you for asking that, because it means a lot to me. I thank God to this day that he got to see that all. You know, that That's he cool. lived. Yeah, he lived through that and uh, and got to see it all. And um, my father never said he was proud of me. He was old school, old school Italian. We'll never give you a compliment. You know, one time he says, all these books around your house, he says, you're still an imbecile. You know, my father would never give you a compliment. <laughs> and at one point or another, he was dying and I'm sitting in a chair next to him. And he says, you know something? He says, I'm very proud of you, Lewis. And it was the first time. I almost fell off the seat. Wow. It's also when I knew he was dying. And I said, he's going soon. A lot of those guys, they don't say it with words, never. though, but they say it in other ways. I guess so. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess so. I know exactly Old what school. you're, I know you a do, lot right? of people like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 But common. that's cool that he they actually said it to you. He got it out. He got to see all that yeah. as well. Yeah, got it out. Thanks. Yeah. They have my books in the house, you know, and, you know, and every time like a country would buy mob rules, 20 languages bought the translation rights. So yeah, what time, was mob rules? Mob rules was a freak thing. My friend Harry Stein, who's a brilliant writer, Harry Stein is the son of Joseph Stein, who wrote Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, shit. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Harry Stein's a brilliant writer in his own right, extremely intelligent man. We're bullshitting on the phone one day, and he goes, you should write a book about the, uh, the mafia's business savvy, where if you take away all the violence and you just highlight how smart they are as business people, I think, it's mm. a, I, think it, I think it would do good. I go, yeah. You sure? I don't know about that. So I pitch it to my agent, Lisa Queen, who's a doll. I go, hey, Lee. I go, what do you think about this idea? She goes, I love it. I could sell that. Now, Lisa's very, very, if Lisa can't sell it, she tells you she can't sell it. She spits it right out. If she tells you she could sell it, you got one foot in the door. Mm -hmm. So she goes, I could sell that. So I said, kidding me. So I put up, a, put the treatment together. David Moldauer, who was working for Penguin Portfolio at the time, scooped up the book. I write it. it. Took me about a year to write. Unlike this book, that took me seven years. This trilogy. This took seven years. To seven write, well, years. Three books. Three books. Yeah, and a right. lot of research. Yeah. I read hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. I was literally like going deep into the archives, newspaper articles. Yeah, and stuff. we got. We'll we'll have to bring you back and do a full podcast on I'd this because this is all about like we've been talking more centric to you today, mm -hmm. but this is about the entire history. I'd love to of talk the about US it mob. With you. Yeah, and as I understand it, you're an expert yourself. You'll right. enjoy it. Back in the day, I definitely, I, I was pretty that, good at it. That I'll would be cool. That. That's how I, I, I mean, I always, I've said this a few times on the podcast before, so sorry if this is repeated, but when I was in high school, I got assigned to write like a long ass research paper on the Sicilian mafia, wow. right? And yeah. so this was, this was like when YouTube was now fully around and mm -hmm. there used to just be documentaries on documentaries on YouTube mm -hmm. and books in the library. And I just read everything. I watched everything. I knew every guy, whatever. And it was before everyone in pop culture was like into the mob. This is so laugh. when, so when they started making, you know, when they started doing a lot of these interviews that were blowing up online in 2016, 2017, I'm like, where the fuck you been? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I knew a lot of this stuff. And then when I moved up to North Jersey, mm -hmm. I never ran with any of these guys. I don't know any of them, mm -hmm. but I, I knew a lot of people who did mm -hmm. and not by choice either, I might add, usually. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting to see where it's mm -hmm. at now. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah. a lot bigger than I thought it was at mm -hmm. this point. Mm -hmm. I will say that. That was a big surprise to me when I saw how much power 
some of these guys still do wield. That was a shocker. But back in the day, I mean, I always say, you see it right here on this wallpaper, but there's a drive. If you look on the far right, you see the the tower in Jersey City mm-hmm. on the edge there? Mm-hmm. So right on the other side of that is 78. Mm-hmm. And when you come around off the bridge coming on the corner by Liberty State Park mm-hmm. on 78, you see the entire lower Manhattan skyline come into view. I saw it today. And Every time I look, yeah, because you're, you're coming yeah. from down that way. So every time I look at that, no matter what, or when I'm walking along Sinatra Drive up here in Hoboken, I look up at all the, the buildings, mm-hmm. I'm like, not one of those fucking things went up without the permission of the mafia. 1,000%. How crazy is 1, 000, that? Without the rebar, without the concrete, yep. without the well, anything, anything, the trucks. Every, even today, a lot yep. of buildings that go up. Yep. It's like- you can think what you want of that, but it is true. It is 1,000% true. I covered uh, in this book, which is volume one, it goes from 1860 Sicily time to oh, 1960 America. Yeah. All right, shut up. Don't, yeah. don't go into it. Oh, okay. We, we got to do, we'll do, we we'll do, do, do this down the line because we have a I'd couple other to. things to go through on you, got on you today. You got it. But yeah, so so you write, you were talking about the, the, the mob rules book and the agent could sell. Yeah, mob so, rules. So anytime they sold a country, I'd call up my father and say, dad, they sold Italy. Dad, they sold Germany. Dad, they sold China. Dad, they sold Japan. Dad, <laughs> Dad, they sold Vietnam. Dad, they sold <laughs> Korea. Dad, they sold. And my father was ecstatic. You know, my father was like, you know, Minky, not bad. You know, <laughs> you know, my father's there. Was he an immigrant? My father's parents were. He wasn't. Right, but my father grew up where his parents did not speak English. Mm, where were they from? Bares, Bare, Bari, Bari. My mother was not down in Sicilian. My grandfather, my mother's father was from Naples. My mother's um, mother was from Sicily. And my mother's, and my father rather, both his parents were, were from Bari. You're hitting the Arabiata in your veins spots. Yeah, yeah, yeah you all got, Southern Italian. You, I, I see why, yeah, you, why yeah. you had that personality. Yeah, all Southern. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. all colorful characters yes. too. Yeah. Yes. You could see my mother's family coming from down the block too. <laughs> It's like you yeah, put yeah. sunglasses on when they walked in the house. Yeah. You know, the bright colors, the loud. Uh-huh. We had a Jewish family that lived behind us, and they used to, the, the Jewish couple, and they used to come for dinner all the time when they heard us through the windows. <laughs> We'd start screaming and yelling, but it was like, sound like we're killing each other, but it's all love. Because we're just loud. <laughs> and they would come in, and years later, I says, I says uh, when my, mo- my mother died, and I'm talking to her, her name was Rhoda. I'm talking to her, and she goes, what did you, I said, what did you think of us back then? She goes, the most colorful people in the world, she said. <laughs> you know, so which was a nice compliment. You, you know, know what the Sicilian translation for I love you is, right? Well, Go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I talked about, in, in, in the, I won't get into this book, but I do talk about these two Sicilians are fighting on the street. And it ends with one throwing a bottle at the other's head. Hmm. And I said, usually in the Sicilian custom, that's like ends with a passionate kiss, these fights. Oh. Yeah, yeah, which nice. is nice. Yeah. yeah. You gotta <laughs> close it up. It's all love yeah, exactly. and war, right? Yeah. But the, I got you off it again, though, the Mob Rules book. Mob Rules, yeah. yeah. Basically, it was really successful. And uh, when I went to my last team meeting before I left prison, they go, What are you gonna do when you hit the street? Construction, you know, join the union. My mother's side were all in the union operating engineers. I, think, I thought about it at one time, very right the beginning. Then I had an education and I wanted to write. So I says, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna. Uh, become an international best-selling author, I said, with a straight face. Ah, I started cracking up. They doubled over laughing. Uh, here, here I am today. That's exactly yeah, what I am. There you are. Yeah, so it's You've done a lot of reading. You yeah. had to learn how to write yeah. through that, I'm guessing, I right? Yeah, I learned how to write by reading. I mostly read nonfiction. Mm-hmm. However, I went through a long period where I read nothing but fiction to learn how to write. So I read Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, the Bronte sisters, Flaubert, 
all these great masters of 19th century fiction, and I would I said to myself, everything they know about writing is in their masterpiece. For example, uh, uh, Madame Bovary. Everything Flaubert knows about writing is in Madame Bovary. You need only look deep into what he's doing, how he tells the story, mm. how he introduces a character, how he develops the plot, how he, how he exits a character, how, how the middle is, how the end is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I took notes in the margins, and that's how I taught myself how to write. Wow. Yeah, so each time, so instead of going to university or having a professor, I had the greatest professors in writing history. Who could teach you more about writing than Tolstoy Correct. if you read Anna Karenina with that I in think, mind? I think since writing is a creative endeavor, I do think it's best learned experientially. I never – I, I do wish in college – that's one small regret. Mm. It's not a big one that I wish I had taken a writing course or two there. I didn't, mm. but I am a writer mm-hmm. and I don't think it really – caught. it would have been nice to have it just to mm. see like how they did it mm-hmm. kind of so mm-hmm. to speak. But mm-hmm. I always just learn through – capturing in my own voice how other people would structure things, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Does. So obviously, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you read seven books, like you yeah. figured out how to do it. Yeah. But that's that's yeah. amazing, man. Yeah. Like self-taught yeah. through all that. Yeah. And yeah. then how'd you end up with the with the National Geographic opportunity and, and hosting documentaries, yeah. which by the way, like yeah. aren't, as we've said, yeah. aren't about the mob no, necessarily. No, no. They're yeah. they're about a bunch of different things. I was in uh the Brits were good to me. They brought me over there a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I, I used to go on book tour there. I was actually, the Brits, I tried to get into American prisons a number of times to help the inmates. I wanted to push reading. I wanted to build libraries in American prisons. And I've done a lot of pushing to try to get through the doors. And they always shut me down. Mm. In America, we have this superiority complex where we know what we're doing. You're not going to tell us. You're an ex-convict. Beat it, buddy. The Brits were like, oh, Come tell over. You. Exactly. <laughs> tell you who. Exactly. Come over and, and, you know, go into our prisons, help the inmates. So I would go there and I would promote literacy inside the prisons. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So I was doing it for a while. I did the Prince's Trust. I did it inside a lot of the prisons up and down the UK. And then one day, one morning I wake up and I got a phone call and it's, it's a 4400144. And I'm like, uh-huh. okay, the UK's calling. Hello. And they said, yes, inviting you to Downing Street. Downing Street? For what? You're given an award. Prime Minister Gordon Brown, uh, through his wife, you went to Ten Downing for an award. They put an, they gave me an award for promoting literacy in the UK. The Brits were great. That's pretty cool. It was wild. Yeah. I, I went. To, first of all, I get the invitation, and it says you have to submit to a search. You have to do. I go. Does everybody get this? I asked. <laughs> or is this just me? Yeah. I got the 45 on the waist. Exactly, yeah. So I, they said, no, everybody gets it in the age of terrorism. I go, okay, fine. Yeah. So, yeah, it was wild. I brought to 10 Downing Street. So, so anyway, I was in, I was in uh, London, and I was doing either BBC or Sky News for something, and this production company reached out to me, and they said, look, we want to do a show with you. And I said, sure, what do you want to do? Let's, let's discuss it. I don't want to do bada-bing, bada-boom, that shit. Leave me alone with that crap. I want to do something that helps people, the world, the animals, the earth, etc." So they said, well, you're going to, the pitch was inside prisons. You're going to go inside prisons and you're going to give the viewer an inside look at a subculture that they've never seen before. So I go, well, I guess Mm. I'm the right guy for it. I've been in state, county, feds, (laughs) medium, max, you name it. I've been there. I've been there while people were murdered. I've been there, you know, I've been there for the violin practice in Otisville. I've been there for everything, right? The, The worst and the best. Let's do it. So that was the Discovery Channel series. And then, uh, from that, I stuck with TV for a while. But, you know, I eventually I was in uh, Sicily. 
the German media conglomerate, Axel Springer, somebody there read my book, Mob Rules, and says, we want to invite you to Sicily. We don't pay our keynote speakers big money. It's a retreat for editors once a year, but we'll fly you in first class. We'll show Where in the- Sicily? Uh, Agrigento. Ooh, it's yeah. beautiful, isn't down it? There. The ruins with the incredible. ruins, yeah, yeah, incredible, awesome, yeah, incredible. Sicily's yeah. got everything, man. I love Sicily. It's got everything. Yeah. It's my roots too. You yeah, know, my mother's yeah. mother. So actually, I came out of a Sicilian womb because my mother's mother's Sicilian to my mother to me. So even though I'm Napoli down in Bades too, you know, the wombs are all Sicilian. Sicilian. The wombs yeah. are Sicilian. I don't yeah. think I've heard that one before. It's pretty it's good. It's true. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I go. They go. Look, we'll put you in a, the the presidential suite, etc. So. I Were you right on the coast? It was. Uh, I saw when when I went up top. You know, I climbed a couple of hills. Yeah, yeah. I saw the waters right there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's not far. It was beautiful. So I mean, I spent most of the time though at the Villa Athena, which is where we stayed. Mm. And I'll tell you why I stayed most. I spent most of my time there. They sit me next to the Germans. Everybody speaks German as a first language, English as a second. It was Axel Springer from Germany, the media group. So I said, okay. They sit me next to a guy who speaks fluent English. He's he's ninety something years old introduces himself as George. I hit it off with him. We talk about history, the Middle Ages, the Reformation, the Renaissance. Uh, and then we go up and through the 20th century. And he says to me, I fled the Holocaust with 16 shillings in my pocket. Whoa. He left Austria when the Wehrmacht rolled in. Whoa. Said, Get out. You survived the Holocaust? He goes, yeah, unfortunately, my grandmothers didn't, but I survived. He gets to, I, he goes, I want to publish the next book. Who is this guy? It's Lord George Weidenfeld. The biggest publisher of the 20th century published the, the memoirs of de Gaulle, Tito, yeah, I know this Pope name. John Paul II, yep, the, the, the Crick and Watson, the double helix, Whoa. everything you could think of, right? All the great history books, Lady Antonia Fraser, Lady Elizabeth Longford, uh, Hobsbawm, Toynbee, Arnold Toynbee, Arnold Toynbee, the great, one of the greatest historians ever of the world, of civilization. He did it all, and he wants to publish my book. So we met for lunch the next day. And his in lovely, Agrigento, this is so Agrigento. like such full circle shit. Maybe an offer I can't refuse in the there middle of Sicily, go. right? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So the next day for lunch, it was me, George, and his lovely wife, Annabelle. And Annabelle was an absolute genius, brilliant woman. And she had a lot of input. And she also convinced me that a history of the mafia was what I needed to write. And they felt like I had the insights, I had the experience, the knowledge from the inside. Nobody's ever done that. All these rats that... We used to have a thing said, if you inform, you never have an opportunity to reform. That's why Sammy ratted, then came out and sold ecstasy to kids and went back to jail for 20 right. years. You never reform. He still didn't reform, I promise you. Even yeah. the 20 years he did. Because he could if he could have ratted, he would have ratted. He just couldn't. There was nobody to rat on anymore. So anyway, um, I, I end up uh, uh, taking the book deal to write the history of the mafia. And what I brought to the table was, which is different, and we'll talk about it another time, I, I hope, uh, was I debunked a lot of myths. Mm. I spot shit right away. Used to, we used to read mob books in jail. Guys did. I read, hist- I read history and biographies and science, but a lot of guys read mob books in there. You hear a lot of bullshit. Who how, wrote this crap? How you know? much, though, when, when you're – because you mm-hmm. – you went away right before you were going to get made, right, mm-hmm. into the game. I would have been made before, definitely. And when I came home, my friend proposed me. He, well, he said, I'm gonna, I want to put you up. And I said, I'm done. Oh, wow. I'm done. Yeah, my dear friend. I wow. said, I'm done. I'm done. Okay, yeah. good for so, you. Yeah. Well, that's, that's tempting, I'm sure. Yeah. But how much when you're coming up in this stuff with some of the old timers, even the young timers around, how much is 
you learning this history through the word of mouth, everyone talking about it? Good question. I talk about that in my book too, because it's a great question. It's almost like the, uh, the, uh, the oral tales told in the Homeric t- times or to <laughs> yeah, Talmudic exactly. times, right? Homeric or Talmudic, uh, the, the ancient Jews, the ancient sages or the ancient Greeks. Um, a lot of it is oral tales. You learn things. Uh, the streets is, you know, but it's more contemporary. Uh, Vinnie Goombard did this, you know, or uh, 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 Joey Fingers did that. It's it's less Luciano, Anastasia, that mm. stuff. You might hear their name once in a yeah. while, but I promise you, John Gotti didn't know a lot about the history of the mafia when he took it over. <laughs> didn't seem like the most scholarly guy. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. This guy yeah. whacked that guy, here we are. <laughs> exactly, this is how you take over, right? So just like our presidents, I mean, I don't care what president it is, Republican, Democrat, they don't know a lot about the history of the country, most of them. They're not, you know, they're politicians. They have the political animal instinct in them. Uh, and they get people who, if they're smart, they get people who are historians to say, well, in Athenian times, this is what happened. Like, well, mm-hmm. look, when we invaded Afghanistan, I knew the whole history of Afghanistan. Oh, yeah. The Empire's dying. Exactly. Yeah. You know, did anybody talk to these people before we did this? You know, like there's something here to think about. Um even Russia, they go, well, we could just hit Russia with missiles now. It's not like when Napoleon went in in the snows of Russia, you know, and, and fought uh, uh, Kutuzov, and Kutuzov retreated and, until he could fight back and then start beating up the French, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hitler didn't take note of that Hitler, one. Barbarossa, right? Yeah. Hitler, Barbarossa. Okay, exactly. Knows shit. Yeah, I do. So, you know, I, you know, this is like, I feel like things are different, but things are the same. Yes. Be careful. Be careful. They're not just going to roll over. So, you know, I, w- I would urge uh, uh, restraint in some ways where they're not. I, I think that that would be important. But anyway, so, that's so did history. So did as far as like learning all the way back in history then, did you do a lot of reading like Selwyn Robb's stuff and things like that? Uh, in well, in the, when I wrote this, when I began to research for this history, that's when I caught up with the Selwyn Robb yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Let me, let me see this because yep. ha- uh, this is what I love to look at in books like this. The the notes and bibliography. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thick. Oh wow. Yeah, thick. Yeah. Yep. You okay. could get a That's feel for it. That's just pictures right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could get a feel for it, right? All right. Yeah. 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 You did your homework. I'm I not. Did. Even, I'm. I'm yeah. still at the M's. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yep. So, wow. And that's just volume one. So each of the volumes, uh, you know, is another room full of books, uh, and you know, I really, really wanted to get to the heart of how it rose, the arc, how it rose. Uh, so the volume one is Rise of Empire, it's this one. Volume two is Clash of Titans. Once you have an empire, that's when people fight over so the empire. So is that like 33 to 60 kind of deal? Uh, well, so, oh, this goes to 60. Which, this the first is like, one does is the rise. Probably 33 to 60 are the most important years here. So, But you Repeal. said you went all the way back to 1860. Right. So 1860 to 1960 is this book. And but you're calling that the rise. The rise. Okay. Yep. But like you said, though, I would say that if you had to pinpoint the real rise – Repeal or prohibition, actually. Yeah, yeah. So and then which is Clash like, of Titans starts with like the Bananas War, that bananas, type of stuff. Exactly. Bananas War, Kennedy administration, 1960, goes into the Bananas War in the 60s. That'll do it. Uh, Gallows. Yeah. Challenging Pofaci. Yeah. Um, so I go through all of that. That's the Clash of Titans. Everybody's fighting. And then the Autumn of Empire is most unfortunately my own time, um, 1985 to 2005 when I came home. <sighs> 
dude, uh, I'm nerding out right yeah, now. Yeah, oh yeah, you're going to enjoy it. This is well, right up your alley. I'm going to read all of them, right and then we're going to do a Definitely. podcast again on Definitely. it. For sure. I don't even want to – if we get into it right now, we're going to be here for another eight hours, and Alessia's is going to want to murder easy, me. Easy. But I have another question for you that is unrelated to that. that I, I, I read this this morning because, again, this was like last minute coming in. Yeah. But you converted to Judaism? Is I that did. right? I did. Uh, what, what, what went into that? Yeah, so at some point or another um, – I told you, I realized there is a God. I realized I was being punished. I realized that, that there's a karma. There's karma, there's uh, natural justice, the world is round. However you want to slice and dice it. If you're a Buddhist, if you're a Hindu, if you're a Jew, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Catholic, if you're a Christian, whatever you are, most of us believe in this idea that there's a higher power, that there's natural justice, that there's karma, and what you do is going to come back to you. So I had that feeling to begin with when I'm in jail. I'm going, well, here I am. You want to stick guns in people's mouths, terrorize people, traumatize people. This is where you belong, behind stone walls where people are being murdered in front of you. This is what I got. Totally warranted. Most people go, I don't belong here, Sammy the Bull Gravano. I don't know. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Not me. I said I belong here. You want to mm, play the game, you got to pay the price. Yeah. Right? You want to dance, you got to pay the band. I can't right? believe you were only well, like 24, 25 figuring this out. Totally. That's pretty thank, impressive. Thank God. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, so there is a higher power. The next question is now, instead of just taking for granted who that higher power is, I'm born Catholic, raised Catholic, and I have nothing against the Catholic religion. My father and my mother were Catholic until the day they died. Uh, and my family's still Catholic. But I wanted to dig deep, and I wanted to go into all the religions. So I read the, the Bhagavad Gita, the Upanishads. I read the Torah. I read the Quran. I read everything, the Gospels. I read everything you could think of. And I honed in on the monotheistic religions. It's for me, my mother always taught me that there is a God, a God, one God. I felt like one God is the God of all of us. Adonai, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hashem, your God, is one. There's one God. That's the Israeli prayer, right? The, Jew, the Jewish prayer. So the Hebrew, there's one, one God. And if there's one God now, you have three monotheistic religions. You have Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Well, the first was Judaism. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob introduced the concept, Abraham, of one God. And then Christianity came later with Jesus. And then afterwards came Muhammad with, uh, Islam with Muhammad. So I just cut to the quick and said, let me go back to the Jews who introduced the concept of one God and read the Torah, and the Torah struck a chord with me. Having said that, that's not to say that Islam is wrong or Christianity is wrong, because both of them are grounded in Judaism, mm. as much as some people might not like to say they are, and some people do admit that oh, they are. Oh, there's a lot of overlap. Oh, yeah. A lot of overlap, oh, yeah. yep. So in the Quran, they have a lot about Moses, and, and they mention Jesus, and the Blessed Mother, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in, in the Islamic religion, rather. And in Christianity, they have, it's the uh, Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian Belief, right? You have the Old Testament, which is the Torah, and the New Testament. I just went back to the original. Cut to the quick. Good enough for me. I pray straight to God. One day my father said to me, he goes, I told him I'm converting. He goes, really? First of all, he goes, you look like a Jew. <laughs> That's what he, so, which was kind of funny, right? So then, so then he said to me. So That's the, not what yeah, I would have expected no, to no, say No, no, not at all. So then he says to me, explain it a little. So I says, well, dad. You know, like a Jesus. Yeah, you know, you know. So he talked English, but you know, it's like that. I know, yeah, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. So he says, uh, he says, you still believe in God, right? Of course I do. So I said, let me ask you a question, Dad. You pray. My father said, I pray every night. Who do you pray to? I don't know. He says, God. Who's God? I asked him. I don't know. Whoever created all of us. I go exactly. 
That's the same thing I do. I don't know who God is, but I know it's the creator of all things, and that's who I pray to. I'm on the same wavelength as you, Dad. He goes, oh, okay. So That's that was a great it. way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, so it's cool. And I stay. I, I made a promise to God. God brought me home, gave, answered my dreams, and I've been an observant Jew ever since. Did you get bar mitzvah and all that? Uh, no, but I did take, when I converted, I had to take a little drop of blood. I, luckily, my mother had me circumcised. You had to take a drop of blood? From my deal. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, so you got to get circumcised, right? When you're a Jew. Jews yeah, are yeah. circumcised. Yeah, it's yeah. part of the religion. You know, God said yeah. to Moses, circumcise your son. A lot son. of non-Jews are circumcised now. Right, yeah. he had Abraham do it. Right. Okay, so uh, I was circumcised. My mother had me circumcised at the hospital at the yeah. time they were doing that. So why'd you have to prick your prick? Because you have to do a symbolic like a symbolic. It's just like the mafia. I pricked this hand. It exactly. burns in my hand. So I would. I never even thought of that. When I went in, I couldn't wait to come home. I'm getting made. Son of a bitch. When I went in, I couldn't wait to come home to prick my finger. And I ended up pricking my prick. Look, you joined the Jewish mafia. Yeah. There you go. Where you, son of a you La Cosa Nostra. You for Jews. Yeah, La Cosa Nostra. How do you say La Cosa Nostra in, in, well, my friends, in Jew? Well, my, <laughs> my friends bust my balls. They that go, so bad. don't forget you're still an Italian. That's what my friends always say oh. to me. So I said, well, I'm an Italian Jew. Well, do you, you wear the hat around them? The kit bar, you know, no, I don't wear you know, it. No, no. I, I feel don't. like they'd be ragging yeah. on you. Yeah, 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 yeah. What happened? Well, my, my buddy my buddy busts my chops. He goes, we got to get you a car. He says, like a Cadillac where the visor comes down. And he goes, when you see, you know, us, he goes, the fedora pops on your head. You and go. he goes, but when you see your Jewish friends, the kipper goes down. <laughs> so he goes, you know, like he, he busts my chops. So, yeah, my friend Kevin. Oh my God, man, yeah. dude, this was, this was so entertaining. Yeah, I, wow. I'm so glad you came in. Like I said, we're going to have to do it again. We, we will. That's I want to work something out. I want to read them first and then yeah. I want to work something out next year. Maybe we can get creative with this and do a series where we have different people sit in with us. I don't know. I'm okay. thinking, I'm thinking out loud right here. That'd be really cool because you're covering the whole era Unpacking Sicily is one thing that doesn't happen online a lot. I would love to do some content on that because it's fucking wild over there. Yeah. So we could do that and then figure out some other ways to to get a meeting of the minds here on that. But I, I'm looking forward to this a lot. And, and Lou, cool. thank you so much for doing this, man. Thanks, brother. I had a great time with you. All right. We'll put the thank links you. to all your stuff down in the description. So go check that out. Buy Lou's books. I know I'm going to be doing that right when we're done here. So join me. Everybody else, though, you know what it is. Give it a thought. Get back to me. Peace. Thank you for watching this episode, guys. If you haven't already, please smash that subscribe button and hit that like button on the video. It is a huge, huge help to getting our videos into the algorithm on YouTube. So thank you to everyone who does that. And also, if you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can get me at Julian Dory Podcast for daily exclusive clips that we put out from the show or on my personal page at Julian D. Dory. The links are in the description below. See you guys for the next one.